Oh shit! I'm so stupid. <laughs> I'm. Oh, it's not that stupid. But uh, I am starting a new thing where I'm just sharing an Apple note with whoever's on the show. Mm, okay. And then you can just paste. We can paste links in there. Um, I like it. Right now, all it just says is TTS one sixty eight Serenity Caldwell. Anyway, the stupid thing is that I was <laughs> trying to do it. And I'm like, why can I not do this? I know I've done it already. And it's because I'm staring at a Mac that's still running El Capitan. Oh, no. <laughs> so I've got to do it from my phone. Ugh. Such technology problems. Did you get this? Did you get it? Yes, I did. Anyway. Let's it's see a if it'll feature. open. <laughs> so we're sharing. We are sharing. This is my new thing. We can even tell, tell people on the air. It's not a secret. But I'm, I shared a note from Apple Notes with Serenity. So that we could paste links, and maybe I'll remember to put all the links in the show notes that I say that I will. Um, seems like a perfect use of the shared note feature. But before we started recording, I spent a minute staring at my screen, <laughs> trying to figure out how to do it, and it was because I'm staring at a machine that's still running a Mac running LCAP, which doesn't have the feature. Where is my collaborate button? Where has it gone to? I I am. We have so much to talk about. I don't know how that we're going to do it, but. <laughs> I'm excited. Here's what I'm excited about. My last show was with Jim Dalrymple and everything was still new. And I feel like, you know, like the phones and the watch. Uh, mm-hmm. And I don't think Sierra was out yet. Um, I like talking about these things more once I've gotten to know them a little better. Like I even said on my show the last time, I found writing a review of the iPhone after five days to be incredibly stressful because I don't know what I... It's really hard. Right. So I'm anxious to hear your thoughts now that we've starting to settle in with these new devices and both new operating systems. But um, what I was going to tell you is, is I'm like a reckless... I'm reckless with my iOS devices. I'll install the first <laughs> beta of whatever's coming out as soon as somebody else on Twitter says they installed it and it didn't didn't blow up oh yeah Uh, same so my iphone my personal iphone is already running the developer beta of uh, 10.1 because who cares is your personal iphone a 7 plus this time around or just a 7 7. i've just switched i think saturday i switched from my plus review unit to my the phone i ended up buying for myself which is jet black regular 7 um but I did it, but I had to run the beta because I put the beta on the plus so I could take portrait mode photos. And then once you've upgraded that device, if I wanted, I wanted to keep carrying forward that, you know, backup and restore so I have all my stuff and don't have to set up my email accounts and everything again. Mm-hmm. So I have to be running the beta here. But I find the iOS betas to be just fine. Yeah, they've been remarkably stable. I think the entire iOS 10 beta release cycle has been remarkably stable. I, I installed two days after WWDC for running the dev, the dev beta. And I have not had problems since hmm. like little, little things yeah. here and there, pr- little problems, but, but on my Macs, I'm tend to be very conservative. I don't like running the, I don't run the developer betas over the summer. And, um, and I haven't up, I've, I've upgraded my MacBook, which I don't really use that much. <laughs> uh, or at least I haven't been, cause I haven't been traveling lately. So I'm, I, I did install Sierra on that one, but I'm not my iMac at my desk. I'm waiting. I am exactly the same. I did not install Sierra on this iMac until the day after release because our, thankfully, we have a staff at iMore now, which is really lovely. And uh, Lori Gill kind of took point on all of the Mac OS Sierra coverage, which meant I didn't have to worry about it. So I had like seven devices, like right. seven iOS devices running iOS 10 and no Macs in the house running right. Sierra. 
Uh, I just typed uptime in the terminal. So my iMac's been up for 23 days without a restart. And it, it, I find that to be very typical. Like I just come in here every mm-hmm. day and just hit the keyboard to wake it up. There are features I'm looking forward to. I can't wait to you know get the thing where I can log in with my Apple Watch. and Auto unlock, yeah. yeah. That's been kind of fun. I've enjoyed that the last four days. So I maybe by the next episode I record, I will be running Sierra here. And it does seem, it seemed to me on, on my MacBook where I did upgrade to Sierra that it was the uh, least inconvenient major version of Mac OS X upgrade I've ever done. It seemed to me like almost nothing broke or changed. Yeah, I have had no problems. Granted, I haven't launched an Adobe program yet, so Photoshop still could be completely borked and I wouldn't know it. Uh, but I'm pretty sure I, I don't. I haven't heard any complaining from my artist friends, so I'm, I haven't really run into anything major where it's just completely broken or completely a pain. Yeah, one of the reasons I'm so conservative upgrading a Mac is that I I have so many little super nerdy things that I install and set up. You know, like I have custom. Mm-hmm. Like I have a bunch of scripts I've written for myself in Perl, and they require Perl modules from the CPAN open source repository, and you just type some things on the command line and install them. And every time, I, to my memory, every time I've ever done a major upgrade of Mac OS X, uh, I've had to reinstall those because Perl's considered part of the system. Oh, yeah. And that it, would make sense. It's just, uh, I, I accept it. It makes sense to me. But then this time I didn't have to. All the stuff I had installed from CPAN was still there. They finally, the you know, the macOS engineers listened to you and said, you know what, we're just going to make the the Perl upgrade process easier this time. Who's our friend in the background? Uh, that's Olive, who I'm actually going to go tell to quiet down in just a second. There's a new puppy in the back fence uh, that she gets really excited about. Can't. I like having a dog on the show. Oh, yeah. People, yeah it, gives it, it gives it a little bit of color. People got very mad at me last week. <laughs> I said I don't like cats. Oh... I, I am an equal opportunity pet lover. We have two dogs and one cat in this well, house. There we go. That brings balance to, to the talk show so people can stop complaining. And then the problem was that Jim, balance to the force. The touch. problem was that Jim Dalrymple agreed with me. Oh, no. Oh. I'm nothing against dogs. Dogs are great, but I, I grew up with cats, all cats. And oh. then um, my fiance owns dogs. So it's been a kind of like a merging of the households. Well, there we go. I think the last time we had a dog uh, barking in the background of the show was uh, Joanna Stern when she had a, her dog uh, was a <laughs> puppy, and I think I think had an accident in the room while she was on the show. Oh no! It's comic gold. <laughs> yep, yep. It's like okay, let's talk about MacBooks. Oh wait, wait. <laughs> I don't know. So it seems to me like Apple has their upgrade mojo in place, and it just scanning the internet. It seems like there were. Relatively few people who, you know, seemingly on Twitter had any kind of problem upgrading either to iOS 10 or to Sierra. Yeah, and honestly, this is probably when one of the smoother upgrade cycles that I've that I've seen on on the on the Twitter webs. Uh, it, the only thing I've really seen complaints about are the home button, and even those have kind of tapered off after the first couple of days. You know, there were the there were the outrages of like, why doesn't my slide to unlock work? And even my personal trainer, when I went to saw her la- see her last week, she was she was very outraged at the idea of of having to change her home her unlock behavior. And then when I saw her the the next week, she's like, yeah, I've gotten used to it. It's fine. That's an interesting change because it's one that I I've heard that too from you know real people. <laughs> uh, and I, what I recall is I think I started running the second developer beta, maybe the third, because I had like I was traveling in early July and I didn't want to take a chance while I was traveling. Um, so as soon as we got home from a 
trip in July. That's when I started running the developer betas on my iPhone. And I, at first, like anybody else, I was confused. It seemed like getting into getting past the lock screen was weird. And I just thought, what I remember thinking was, ah, it's a beta. I'm sure they'll figure this out by the end of the summer. <laughs> and they didn't really, I don't think they actually changed anything. It's just that eventually I, I, it became the new normal to me. It, yeah, it gets you get comfortable with it, and then you switch back to a device running iOS nine, and you're like, "Why won't you? What? What? I'm just I'm trying to unlock you." <laughs> yeah, and it just seems normal now. Although I yeah. guess it's I guess it's is it are there still a lot of people who don't have Touch ID? I don't think there are a ton of people who don't have Touch ID, but the I like uh, my personal trainer who I was talking to. She's like, "I've never put a passcode on my iPhone," and immediately I told her, "Well, here's here are the reasons why you should put a passcode and Touch ID on your iPhone." Uh, but there are a lot of people who still don't do passcodes and don't do Touch ID, despite having Touch ID enabled iPhones, which mm. boggles my mind. That's it's a, so easy. That would be an interesting. I wonder what that is. I've always thought, and I think I do think it's true that the original slide to unlock. Uh, which you know Apple if bragged about. It was a big part of the original iPhone presentation. It was a part of the mm-hmm. ads. It was a part of the brand. It was actually a big part of their lawsuits with Samsung. <laughs> uh, I forget. I think they sued other people too, right? And it was mm-hmm. it was held up. It was like Apple's version of of Amazon's one click. You know, like this is a ridiculous thing to be able to patent. No, this is actually genius. You know, arguments on both sides should be able to patent an idea that's so simple. Blah blah blah. I really do think though that that feature was designed for a phone that doesn't have a passcode. Oh yeah. It's. I mean, it was designed in kind of the pre-passcode era where I, I don't think until my iPhone 4 that I really ever thought about having passcodes on my devices or thought seriously about like what it meant to, to protect the information that was on my device. Because the iPhone 3G and 3GS, I feel like all I, all I had on those phones were like Twitter and, uh, and the camera app. And I wasn't, you know, taking any pictures that were particularly sensitive. And I wasn't doing a ton of banking on my phone because right. 3G networks at that point were still slow. But now, I mean, you know, my my 7 Plus, I feel like I can pretty much do my entire job on it. Right. I, I've, you know, I don't need another, I don't need a computer for some things. No, I think that's definitely true. Um, yeah. That's what I hear it from so many people. But I just think we just didn't, I don't know, like the whole industry, both on the the company's side, like Apple's side as the creator of this device and this operating system, and on the consumer side, and in it, it, on our side as people who write about this stuff, the last decade has been a real eye-opener in terms of privacy and security. Like, I think before that, oh, yeah. we really only thought of security as security that goes through bugs. You know, like, oh, there's mm-hmm. a uh, an exploit Exploits. in Windows XP, and if you all you have to do is visit this website, and you know, uh, code can get run locally with full privileges on your on your computer, and you're in trouble. And that's what we thought of it as, as opposed to like just the privacy aspects of this system. It doesn't have any bugs. It's working as designed, but if somebody picks up your phone and plugs it into iTunes, they'll just be able to see all your stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, the, the scary thing about that is really the social engineering part of it where even, even I think until 
really, uh, we got it with Snowden and we got it with even Mr. Robot, of all things, yeah. alerting people to the idea of, like, yeah, if people know your security questions or a couple of facts about you, they can pretty much take over your life. Like, I remember, do you remember Matt Honan's piece from yep. a few years ago? Yep. Yeah, about his password dilemmas and, and troubles and how basically somebody took over all of his stuff. And, like, that that kind of stuff is, I think, an eye-opener for Definitely was an eye opener for a lot of the tech concerted audience, but it's still, I think, making its way towards the general public, where the general public is worried about security and this broad nebulous idea, but they don't really think about it on a very discreet, you know, individual basis. Like, like talking to my personal trainer, if someone picks up, if you go to Africa and someone picks up your phone, they could basically steal your identity. No problem. It's true. Um, she was going to Africa. It's not just like right. <laughs> random <laughs> picking Africa, picking on Africa. And I also think the iPhone and therefore iOS in particular also started on a on the wrong foot in some ways because it's in some ways I think Apple had conceived of it as as much as the successor to the iPod as it was to the Mac. And so mm-hmm. yes, there were some you know some aspects of. Whatever you want to call the original, you know, the original version of iOS. When it, I think it was, didn't even have a name, it was called like iPhone OS. Or, iPhone OS, yeah. Um, and they even had like marketing material that they even called it OS 10. It was like runs OS 10. You know, they didn't know what to call it at first. But a lot of it was was uh, sort of stripped out by the idea that it was sort of more like an iPod, which never had any real sort of security. Right? You you could always just plug an iPod into another computer and see what was mm-hmm. on it. Well, um, you had DRM'd music for a long time, or you had music. It was one-way transfer. You right. Know, you the security really... was really more on the, the format of the files you bought from the store than the device itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it just wasn't a protected device. I mean, you could really just plug somebody else's iPhone into your, uh, you know, your Mac and, you know, communicate over USB. Mm-hmm. So they've had, you know, obviously come a long way from there to here. And I do think that the slide to unlock just didn't really fit. You know, Touch ID is... Slide on slide to unlock for the modern secure world. Yeah, it's the this is the easy way to open your phone after you've put it some level of security. Yeah, and especially as they've rolled out Touch ID to more places, um, including like on iOS 10, a little feature that I even noticed today is if you go into say Apple Music and you're signing into your user account, um, you as long as you have Touch ID enabled for for iTunes, you can now use your fingerprint for that. You don't even have to enter in your password and like these weird random places of the OS, which I think was even still a thing in in iOS nine, where there were still like some areas where you had to type out your long complicated password. And now it's all like as long as you're already in the system, you can authorize just about anything with with a Touch ID fingerprint. It does seem like I've had to type my passwords in fewer times. It and it's yeah. one of the little things that. Uh, it seems like it's so annoying that we notice it when we're getting badgered by it and we yell at Apple for it. And then we don't really notice when they fix it. And so we don't, (laughs) we don't get to give them the little pat on the head and say, thank you, Apple. You know, the, the, the number of times where I used to have to, I'd just be out and I would just get prompted for my, my iCloud password. And it wouldn't even tell me why. Right, it's just like a. Oh, I know. It's just like this random thing. Right, but it does seem to me, anecdotally, at least for me personally, that I I don't see that as much as I I, almost never. It's almost never inexplicable. It's always got like a an explanation, and therefore I don't feel bad about it. Mm Hmm. 
So good, good to for Apple on that. So before <laughs> Pat on the back. before we get into the details, let's uh, while we're on this subject, let's try to. I, I have a at least one, but think about the things that Apple uh, still has a lot of. You know, where where are they falling short on their upgrade? You know, when you upgrade devices. Overall, hmm. I think they're getting really good at it. But I'll give they one are. example. And I know this has got to be worse for you than me because I think you have more Apple Watches. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, does your, does your example involve upgrading to a new Apple Watch? Yes. And <laughs> upgrading to a new Apple Watch is the worst. It, yeah. it takes forever. And if you forget to do it in the right order, you've got to start Ugh. all over from scratch. You just want to, yeah. It, it, you want to put like a, a, I don't know, a head to the desk kind of a thing. It's it's very frustrating, especially I don't, you know, as as people who are dealing with review units, having certain Apple Watches paired to certain devices, and some of them being backups of your old phone, and some of them not being backups of your old phone, and then trying to switch those watches from one device to another is pretty much impossible unless they're on your Apple ID and on your specific backup. They are basically tied to the phone. And that's the that's the thing that like took me a while to wrap my head around is like if your your Apple Watch is not a separate device, it's your Apple Watch and your iPhone. Right. And all of the backups get stored basically as your iPhone backups. So if you pair an Apple Watch to a brand new iPhone that you haven't restored from backup, and then you're like, oh, I want to switch that Apple Watch to, you know, a backed up iPhone. Um, you're you're gonna be in a little bit of trouble. You're not you're not gonna be very happy. I I I find that the the thing that gets me is the fact that you don't get your watch backed up until you unpair it from yes. the phone. And that feels so wrong to me. And I don't see how any normal person, no normal person would ever, ever think that that's how it should be done. And even if they're told that that's how it's done, it it doesn't look like you're doing the right thing. Like even if you're, you're just... You'd, somebody says, here's what you do with your new iPhone. First, unpair your your watch <laughs> from your old phone. Well, and the then thing is- Then back like, up your old phone. <laughs> then restore your new phone from that backup. And then your watch, as you knew it, will still be there. And then you can repair the watch and it'll go right back to where it was. But when you go through <laughs> those steps, it doesn't look like you're doing that. It looks like you're erasing your watch. Yeah, it it and there's no there's no good dialogue from that box. And it is I'm pretty sure the watch does get backed up nightly the same way that the iPhone does no. when there's an iCloud backup. No, it doesn't because there are there are intermediary backups that are made. However, if you want to upgrade, so let's say I'm going from a watch series 0 to a watch series 2 and I don't unpair the watch series 0 before I go to the series 2, the most recent backup I might find is might be 2-3 days old. It's not going to be current, which means you're not going to have your move data and you're not going to have your activity stuff, or it might be even older if it didn't if the backup didn't go through properly. And that's really frustrating. The fact that you can't like and there's no even there's no way to make a manual backup right. unless you unpair it, right. which you were talking about, which is like that is the most frustrating thing because like when people people Google like how to back up your watch and it's not how to back up your watch. It's how to unpair your watch, which also makes a backup. Like why couldn't there just be a button apple? Like really? <laughs> I I don't even see how you can see where your latest backup is. I don't know that you can. Yeah. I'm looking the at the only that. way the only way that you can see where your latest backup is is when you're pairing a new watch. Right. Which is really dumb. Because that's that I ran into that um, in a weird kind of where I had 
This is complicated. I had a backup of my phone, or I had restored an iPhone 7 review unit from the regular backup of my phone. So it was running my all of my apps and everything else. And then I had a watch that I was, you know, doing some data, uh, doing some activity data on. And then I switched to my Jet Black iPhone uh, 7 Plus, which came in. And the iPhone 7 Plus, I had restored from an iPhone backup, but I'd restored from an iPhone backup like two days prior. So the the 7 Plus and the 7 were two days off in terms of backups. So when I got my new, my prop, my non-review Apple Watch Series 2, and I went to pair it with the, with the Jet Black um, iPhone 7 Plus, it was only showing me Apple Watch backups that were two days old or more. Right. Because it couldn't see that, despite the fact that these phones were essentially going to the same iCloud backup and had the same information on them and, like, had the same health data even because of it being in iCloud, it couldn't see the Apple Watch backups that the iPhone 7 made. Because in iCloud's mind, it was an iPhone 7 plus Apple Watch combo and an iPhone 7 plus plus Apple Watch combo. Uh. Yeah. And it's just like it's it's the same iCloud account. Right. It's so frustrating. I really hope that they put some effort into that. And I I'm almost surprised they haven't because I always think like okay, so when people like me and you sit here and complain, and it's worse for us because I'm I'm on my third iPhone seven now. I had two review units and <laughs> the one I bought and now own, and only the one watch i'm st- i'm still wearing a review unit watch cuz i don't know what i want to buy for myself but mm-hmm. it it and i realized that it's a, you know it, it's a tiny little violin is playing sad music for us because <laughs> you know we have this all we these, have all of these phones have, yeah yeah we have these awesome all these gadgets to play with and but i i just ha- can't help but think and i know that they're not supposed to solve these problems for us cuz we're edge cases but even normal people who just bought one new phone it's a it's terrible if you go through and didn't remember to unpair your watch first. Yeah, um, or the worst part is if you're wearing your yeah, if you're wearing your watch and it's still paired to your old phone and you don't think about pairing it to your new phone until a couple days after you've had your new phone, which is entirely right. likely because people again, you treat the Apple Watch as a separate device for a certain period. It was what you were saying with the first iPhone, right? right. Where it's like they're treating the Apple Watch as pretty much a separate device. Oh, it has GPS now, and you can go outside for walks, um, and you leave your iPhone at home, but it is still tied to the iPhone. And that's something that's not really marketed enough outside of the, yeah, it uses the iPhone cellular signal. No, it is it is an iPhone accessory. So if it's not tied to your right iPhone, then everything falls apart. And that is that is something that I can see being very confusing for the average yeah. user and something that they'll just throw their hands up about. Well, and sh- the thing is that surely there must be a lot of people inside Apple Apple who go through the same thing because they are using test devices. So I know. So that's why I'm a little surprised <laughs> that they haven't addressed this. I mean, like, and I think it's one of the reasons why you are now able to have multiple watches paired with one phone. And, oh, yeah. And, you know, part of it is that, of course, yeah, if you want to buy a couple Apple watches, Apple would love to sell you a couple. But I'm sure that part of the reason that it's in there is that some of the most Testers. likely, <laughs> the most likely people to, to have several Apple watches at the same time are people inside Apple who are testing yep. new, you know, either new new software or new hardware or both. Um, yeah, it's got to get better. It it absolutely has to, and I'm I mean I'm hopeful, especially as the as the watch evolves, but it's still it's a pain point. Yeah, and it also seems like one thing in Siri. I didn't put a stopwatch to it, so maybe it's just it went from really bad to sort of kind of bad. But <laughs> the wireless network speed between 
your phone and the watch or something is so, so unbelievably slow. It's so painful. <laughs> like, I swear I had to wa- I was restoring this watch after I got, uh, just went through this again over the weekend where I had to unpair it. Cause now I'm, I have it paired with the phone that I own myself. Um, and I let it go for an hour and I came back to it and it was still on that spinning, that slow spinner around the outside. Oh no. I was like, this is crazy. And I, did you restore your apps too? Uh, yeah. I don't yeah. have a lot of apps on my phone. But even so, yeah, exactly. Anymore. It just, it takes, when I was, I did a ton of speed tests because I got a, I got a series two review unit, but I also bought a series one for myself and then I had my original series zero and I was doing like cross, crossways speed tests on all of these and the one thing like the series two like blows the series zero out of the water in a in a bunch of different ways um the original generation apple watch but when it comes to barking dogs uh, when it comes to the difference between like series two series one and the original generation apple watch and boot time or restore time like the boot time on an Apple Watch Series 2 is still over a minute. Yeah. And the boot time on Series 0 is like two and a half minutes. But it's still like, if I'm waiting a minute and 20 seconds for my watch to start up, problems. Uh, I'm going to tell you about a good friend of the show. It's Fracture. You guys know Fracture. They are the photo decor company that is out to rescue your favorite images from the digital ether. They print your photos directly onto glass and add a laser cut rigid backing so they're ready to display right out of the box they even include the wall anchor i've told you about them before they've been sponsoring this podcast uh, in my mind forever and they're back because you guys keep buying pictures from them they're just a great great service it is it's not just i I always say this it does not look like a piece of paper that has a photo printed on it mounted to glass it looks like it's like the retina display. It looks like it, the picture is somehow on the glass. It is an amazing feature. When you hang them on the wall in your house and people come in, they will say, whoa, because it's noticeable. There's no frame around it. It's edge to edge. Uh, it looks like nothing else. And they'll say, how did you do that? And then you'll tell them about Fracture. Um, one of the reasons that they're advertising right now, I know it's early. I know it's late September as we talk and probably as you listen. Um, and it seems like Christmas is forever away. But these are amazing gifts. They really are. You could knock out a whole bunch of your family gift giving uh, early. And they do tend to run late uh, or they get backed up. So like, you won't be able to order fractures in like early December and still get them by Christmas. So it's a good time to knock off a little bit of that. Uh, go there to find out more. They have all sorts of sizes, great prices, great, great quality. Uh, and if you go to this URL, FractureMe.com slash podcast, you will save 10% off your first order. FractureMe.com slash podcast. Uh, and then uh, don't forget to mention this show in their very, very long one-question survey, which is where did you hear about Fracture? Uh, so just mention the talk show there, and they'll know you came from here. So my thanks to Fracture. Go do it. You'll thank me later for uh, getting all your family Christmas uh, gifts out of the way. Uh, anything else that bothers you about Apple's upgrade process? And like Mac, iOS, switching to a new device, upgrading the OS, anything along those lines? Overall, I find it pretty smooth. Um, the only thing that I think is a little bit frustrating is the... As much as I love the over-the-air download process for iOS, um, 
It can be very frustrating to update if you're on the go, obviously, because it's a big download. It's a, the, the iOS 10 download was a gigabyte. Um, but the problem is, because of the way that the the download currently works, say I'm waiting around for my download to fit, like it's update day, right? It's, it's release day, and I've downloaded half of the release, half of iOS 10 to my iPhone, and then for some reason I need to go out and do an errand. Um, well, I could either leave the phone at home and, you know, at the rate that it was going, maybe like 10 kilobits a second, that'll be, that would be downloaded, uh, maybe half downloaded by the time I get back. Or, you know, maybe I need the phone while I'm out and about. And if I take the phone and I leave while it's, while it's downloading, there's no place where I can be like, pause my download mm. while I go off Wi-Fi, go do my errand and then come back and resume my download and still have the half of the update that I downloaded back. Like you can do that with pretty, you can do that on Safari for the Mac. You can do that even with iOS apps at this point with pause download. Um, But there's no way to do that for the, for these big updates. And I realize that's like, that's a, again, maybe a bit of an edge case, but I know a lot of people who don't end up updating to iOS 10 because they don't find time to, even with I, you know, Apple's been done a lot better with the like install while I'm sleeping and stuff (laughs) like that. Um, And the auto install night, like that, that's all really nice, uh, really nice improvements to this feature, but it's still, it runs, you know, there are still people who they start to install it and they think it's installed because they started the process and they don't even think, oh, you know, if I leave my house before the install process is completed, it's never, it's just going to stop the install process and I'm never going to get it installed. Like just the average user is not obsessive about download things. They just, they've, yeah. they've gotten used to the iOS app, you know, Do- I'm downloading an iOS app and the iOS app is going to download wherever I am. Or it'll, you know, if even if it can't get a good network connection or if I have cellular data turned off while I'm running around, it'll come back and finish downloading when I when I get back to my computer. But the but the update is not like that. So that's my like nitpicky complaint. I can't really think of too many other ones. Uh, me neither. But I agree with you. Um, here's one thing. If we're gonna skip around, but if we talk about iOS 10 and what it's how it's faring in the real world, I'm hearing from I don't want to drop names, but people in the house <laughs> uh, that the the heavier doses of 3D touch to do things or force touch, whatever they call it on. With, I guess on iOS it's called 3D touch is not not a welcome addition to the operating system. Not a welcome addition. How that it's too confusing or not intuitive when you need to press hard and when you just need to normally tap, and that having these things that, uh, um, like just to do the stickers in messages that you have to force touch on the arrow. Oh yeah, to move it. Uh, I I see some merit in that, and to me, it's sort of like the old one button mouse versus two button mouse argument where it seemed like it but maybe maybe a little different because it seemed like in the old days when apple obstinately seemingly obstinately stuck to a one button mouse when you know every single you know it was a fundamental aspect of the <laughs> windows user interface that there were things you would right click on mm-hmm. um 
Like I don't, you couldn't really even properly use Windows without a two-button mouse. And I don't know that anybody. I don't even know that you could buy it like a one-button mouse for a PC. It <laughs> wasn't even like a thing. Whereas, and it seemed like everybody, like the consensus among the nerds was that Apple is just sticking to this out of spite. Whereas what I saw was that this is sure. If you're a power user, you can go buy a two-button mouse or mm-hmm. mouse with a scroll wheel and plug it in and it'll work. But for most people, all they have to do is understand click. And having just one type of click is fundamentally, it's so much simpler than even just having two types of clicks, let alone the crazy gaming mice you can buy with you know 20 different buttons. But even just going from one to two is a huge difference. And you'd, you know, I, I, everybody has seen people in the real world who, who like don't know what to click on and what to double click on and stuff like that. Like click and double click was confusing enough for some people. (laughs) Uh, And I felt like that was part of the genius of iOS was dialing that all the way back to just tap. Everything is a tap. And I think force touch convolutes that to some degree. Yeah. I mean, we were already getting into more advanced options with things like long presses, um, which have existed, I don't know, at least at least four or five iOS generations, maybe more, um, and earlier with the with third parties. I see 3D Touch a lot in the way that I see two button mice on you know 1990s, early 2000s Apple computers, which is there's not really anything on an iPhone, at least that I can think of, where 3D Touch is necessary to do a core function. You know, 3D Touch makes it faster to open the battery pane in settings, but you can still get to the battery pane if you tap on settings and then tap on battery and then tap on low power mode. Um, I like. Can you think of something in like I can think of stuff on the watch where you need force press to to do extra things? But is there any? Is there is there something besides maybe stickers where you really need a force press? The messages is one where there's certain things that you seem to have to force press, and then the other thing is to interact with the notification widgets, right? It yeah. seems well, like well, that's true. But again, you can tap on the notification right. widget, and it'll send you to the right area. Well, I get it, but it seems like. Amy, to just name one person, doesn't always get <laughs> and and sees you know she seems frustrated that sometimes she thinks she's pressing plenty hard enough to get a force touch and it's not registering. Yeah, well that that I think is an absolutely valid complaint, and that force touch sometimes works marvelously. And I have I have my force to or fresh force touch three D touch press firmly. I have my setting to the lightest version so that it will trigger almost immediately once I start pressing down on the screen. And I would say it works about 75% of the time. Right. That's not good um, enough. No, exactly. And it's like, I mean, it, it, it will work other times, but other times it requires a little bit of firmer press. And I'm not sure if there's, it's because there's something on my fingers or if it's just the screen is, you know, misreading, but yeah, that's a little, it's a little bit frustrating. And the, the place where I notice it the most is turning the keyboard. If you, if you press firmly on the, when the keyboard's active, you can turn that into a movable cursor. And I use that all the time um, when I'm writing on iOS and it was very, I don't know, very noticeable for me. I I would just I will reiterate that that is my favorite 3D touch feature. I I the first time I saw it last year, I was like, "Oh, I will use that all the time." And then mm-hmm. I proceeded to forget that it existed for weeks <laughs> at a time. So for listeners of the show, if you take one thing away, if you're going to write down an actual note while you're listening to us talk, the one thing I would emphasize is remember that you can force touch on the keyboard to m- 
make the cursor like a mouse cursor that you can move around because once you really do internalize that and and you don't even have to re- you don't have to think about it to use it it is the best text editing change since uh, the original iPhone yeah since copy and paste or quite honestly i don't paste. i don't use the i rarely use the loop um, ever like what else? and oh, if so you press if you harder, get a notification that you want to reply to like Mm-hmm. Uh, messages one would be an example. Tweetbot has it now for DMs. You have to force touch on it to to get the inline. Don't even open the app. Just let me reply right here. Uh, yeah. No. If it looks like if you just tap the notification, it'll send you directly into the app. But, but you have I to mean, force again, touch to get that little shortcut to there. get the short. But again, we're talking about shortcuts. We're not right. talking about things where it's like. Or you know what? Actually, I take it back because if if it appears at the top of the screen, you can drag down and it'll give you the the yeah. information. Yeah. So you can drag on it the same way that you could in, I think, iOS 9 or iOS 8, and it would give you the same kind of ed, uh, further preview. If it were up to me, I think I would make... I, I think it. I think that Force Touch should only and always be a shortcut for a long press. Yes, so that, I agree with that. So that you, anything that you do with a Force Touch, if you just hold there, you'll get the same thing. And I think that would be an accessibility win because I think it would help for anybody who who actually can't press hard enough. And mm-hmm. I think conceptually it would simplify things. And I know that there are some conflicts. Um, like right now you force touch on an app icon on the home screen to get the list of shortcuts for that app. And you long press to get into jiggle mode where you rearrange apps. But That's I, so annoying. I wish it just do both. Yeah, I think it should just be one shortcut, and then one of the options for every app would be like edit dot dot dot. Edit. Yeah, right? exactly. And you know, and use like an icon to indicate that. You know, I'm sure there's some visual way that you could indicate like this is how you get into the old jiggle mode. Hmm. Um. It, it could easily be tied together like that. And the other one that I remember is if you go to the Apple Weather app uh, and you go to the list of cities or locations. I tried to rearrange them before a trip to move like where I was going up to be like like number two, so I could always you know right right beneath the local you know wherever I am, and I couldn't remember how to rearrange the cities I, for the life of me. I just kept force touching on them, and it it just kept opening them. And it took me like a minute to remember wow. you have to press and hold. You have on to that. press press firmly. No, That's... not press firmly. You press or no, firmly. No, 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 to... but sorry, press press lightly right. to rearrange. <laughs> press firmly to like pull up a, a pop up. Right, and That's... then if while you're waiting for the hold to be long enough, you start pressing too hard, it opens up. <laughs> <sighs> that those little things are so frustrating, especially if you are you know somebody who goes in between pressing firmly and long presses right. like trying to rearrange your app icons that's that is that's kind of an exercise in frustration and maybe just not enough people rearrange their app icons on a regular basis anymore they just they don't care about the way their home screen looks or because i feel like apple must be getting complaints about this right oh i'm trying to rearrange my icons and i can't remember how to do it anymore right. i don't know it just uh, I, I feel like it could enough. be they could be made together though. I feel like they, they yeah. uh, you know be like an iOS 11 change not like an iOS 10.2 change but I feel like long press and force touch could be unified. I think so. And it may it may be one of those things where um sorry the uh, <laughs> no let them work. Yeah. <laughs> I think Rick is coming home so they're really excited. Um yeah, I I think it may be something where in iOS 11 we may see a more drastic change to the home screen or something like that, where they're kind of like, we know this is a hack job mm. right now, but 
we promise it will all go away soon. And I under, like, on part, part of me understands that from a, okay, we're working towards a bigger objective and a bigger picture here. But the fact remains that 3D Touch has now been in operation or will be in operation for two whole release cycles. And to say, like, this is a hand wave, we're going to make it better soon uh, for, for two years worth, is that's, that's stretching it for the average user. That's, that's kind of painful. It is interesting to me watching the reaction of people who are, you know, all new to iOS 10. And, you know, we, we talked before about the, the home button change where you have to, you know, there's no more swipe to unlock. Um, seems like at first an awful lot of people objected to some of the visual changes in iOS 10, which I think in, in Broad strokes. In terms of like the new control center and, yeah, the, and like, the yeah, and the way that the widgets look more like windows, you know, they, mm. there's like a three D ness and and a they don't go they're not full width they have entire you know they're encapsulated they're a little bubbly yeah. yeah there's just a little bit more depth to the interface it is it, you know to over you know to to borrow an overused term from when iOS seven came out it's it's less flat. Mm-hmm. And not so much in a way that the actual individual buttons and little windows themselves have 3D, but that the layering of where they are in the system is more 3D. I like it a lot. I think it's actually, to me, it's like iOS 10 has really, uh, it, it just shows how how many how how long it takes to get a major design right. And to me, iOS 10 is the one where the, the, what they were thinking with iOS 7, they've really... Uh, dialed it back up to where the appropriate level of depth. Mm-hmm. It's uh, an iMovie 08 to iMovie 11 kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I, I wrote a... Go ahead. Well, it just seems to me like people complained about it at first, but it seems like right now, as of now, everybody... Now they've... It was really just the newness that bothered them. And now oh, they've, yeah. they've gotten used to it. Well, it's the... Anytime that you change someone's interaction path, they're going to grumble about it for a little while. Same thing we were talking about with Touch ID um, and opening the phone, where it's like the control center now having multiple cards. Initially, that was a bit of a pain, um, especially if you're dealing with sliders, because if you don't tap on the right place for a slider, you might accidentally slide the pane left Hmm. to right. Um, And, you know, putting things in slightly different places, being like, oh, I can't find this anymore. And where is this? And how, why does Notification Center still have the widget screen in it, despite the fact that the widget screen is now, you know, its own real thing on the left hand side? Like, there are still little bits and pieces here that I, that aren't quite right. But um, I, I wrote about this right after WWDC in terms of the way that Apple has changed the visual narrative to really be about stacks and layers and about, you know, the home screen is kind of your your neutral layer now and then apps pop up on top yep. and you've got control center and notification center on top above everything else. Um, and it's just, it's unified it now where it actually makes sense. And then the lock screen is on top of everything else because the lock screen is basically like keeping, keeping you in this box. Like right. it's, you're opening the box. You're pressing through with the, with the home button to go into this box. And it's, I don't know, from a, from a pure, purely like tactile visual sense, um, which odd, odd combination of words there, but, but really, uh, it it it's very pleasing uh, subconsciously, I think. And initially, again, people are going to be complaining about it because it doesn't. It's not what they were used to, right? But I, as you get used to it, I think it becomes more and more comfortable, and things make sense. It's it goes from a, I'm looking for this feature. Oh well, 
now I'm getting trained, I'm getting visually trained to be like, okay, well, apps are, you know, apps are found by pulling something up or pulling, you know, pulling from a side of the screen or moving from side. Like there's, I, I don't know. I, I really, I really like the direction they're going with this. I, I, one of the things that I think that they got wrong in iOS seven and that they've, and, and to me, they've really, this is the iOS 10 is really where they've fixed it in a lot of ways is, and this is something I think that I'm willing to excuse a lot of it as it just takes more than one or two years to get a, a complete redesign right. This is one of the things I think they could have gotten much better right from the start. And for some reason, whatever was in their heads collectively was wrong, was making sure that the visual indication of like something that's either on or off is absolutely in, you know, clear. Clear. <laughs> And and I think it was their I think it was a desire for aesthetic purposes to not use color is what burned them in iOS seven. And so, for example, here's what I'm looking at is the way that like when you have Wi-Fi on in Control Center, it's just a bright, vivid blue. And then if you tap it to turn it off, it is very clearly off because <laughs> it's gray and drab. Um, I think that's one of my favorite changes. It's just the way that they're more way more willing in iOS ten to use plops little 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 bits of very vivid color to clearly indicate state in a way that that they weren't before. Yeah, a col- I mean the color changes to iOS 10 I think have been one of the the biggest improvements upon the flat design um because you do it's like okay, we can't use depth inside our buttons to show what's on, what's off. So let's actually use really bright, vivid, nice colors. And you saw them kind of experimenting with that in the original music app. Um, and yes. But it's really come kind of full circle now. And you can kind of even see where they're going by looking at the new music app and the new maps app in terms of that, like, bolder, the bolder design and yeah. using bright colors for, for each of the entries. I like that so much more than just, here's black and here's gray. All right, here's one I got, like... <laughs> It was like my my most explosively popular tweet of the month was uh, just the simple observation that the night shift button in Control Center has an unusual prominence and amount of (laughs) screen real estate. It's so large. I don't understand. Like, I never, ever want to use this feature. Uh, I don't like it. I understand lots of people do. Very popular with some people, but I don't understand why it's so much more prominent than than any of the five things at the top: airplane mode, Wi-Fi, <sighs> Bluetooth, um, do not disturb, and then rotation lock. They, Especially because night shift should be set automatically, right? Right, it's like to to go at a certain time. Right. If you really like the feature, why in the world wouldn't you have it set to 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 turn on at sundown? It's I wonder if it's a placeholder for something. That's what an awful lot of people suspect is that it's a placeholder. But if, what is it that they think it's a placeholder for? Uh, I don't know. There is something. There's and, and it's not occurring to me. There's Ugh. something. I mean, pl- you could you could argue play pause buttons instead of the music having its own. Well, that's the thing. That's where I'm going. Thing. Is that there? Yeah. There people because there used to be room there for the little playback controls Mm -hmm. and people that does seem like one change that i think has merit and it's not just resistance to change but that seems to me like real people are not happy with the playback controls being on a second screen yeah i don't uh, 
I don't mind it so much. It's just, it's the problem of discovery, right? Where people who are used to control center just having one pane, they pull it up and they don't see the tiny dots at the bottom. They just see the fact that there are no music controls. So they automatically assume that the music app just, you can't control it from control center anymore. It would be nice to be able to edit the control center though, to make control center something where you can configure it to be just what you use. I completely agree. So and maybe maybe that's the the placeholder right. for night shift. Some people I I've also seen some people in response to my tweet say why can't it be like notification center where it just you know like you pull down from the top and notification center is full screen? Why doesn't mm-hmm. control center full screen then there'd be room for everything on one screen? And I think that the obvious answer to that is especially with the plus you can't reach the stuff at the top. Yeah. You know that it's and- it seems very clearly designed to me that it's meant to be reachable with one thumb in the, you know, so therefore it, it really shouldn't and can't be full screen. Yeah. And if you try, um, you can't use reachability when control center is active. You can with notification center, but not with control center. Hmm. Uh, reachability is a good one. So I wrote in my iPhone 7 review that I had to turn reachability off because I found myself constantly inadvertently invoking it uh anecdotally asking around with a bunch of friends on slack um a the my friends uh a lot of my friends have run into this themselves and had to do the same thing turn off reachability uh and b um they reported that like the normals in their life uh got had have been running into the same thing and that the normal people have no idea what the hell reachability is and that it just hmm. uh, they just don't know why their screen is going down halfway yeah uh a friend of the show john syracuse said that his his mom invoked it on her ipad and his dad fixed it by restarting the ipad <laughs> <laughs> but that it was so confusing that it looked it, it and i i can see why it seems it almost seems like a drawing problem like you've you run into a bizarre bug where the the computer is drawing your screen halfway down Oh my gosh. Have you run into this or no? You know, I actually, I was expecting to after hearing a bunch of people get really concerned about it with the new home button. And I actually haven't at all. Um, I, then maybe that's just because I have used reachability a fair amount when I've been using the plus. So Mm. I have figured out kind of a way to trigger it versus a way to just press the home button. The bigger problem that I've actually been having, and again, this is kind of a niche thing, but I've had a problem taking screenshots where Mm. Mm. I used to have no problem whatsoever, but because of the home button, I now have the same problem that I have on the Apple Watch, where I have to press one button and then the other to really make the sure that the screenshot takes, especially if I'm doing something weird, like taking a picture of the camera app while the camera app is open. I don't know why either. I don't know why. And, and subjective subjective preference for the new home button versus the old home button aside, I find that my screenshots have like a 50% failure right now. Mm-hmm. Either, yeah, and either I, the home button takes me home before the screenshot takes off, or the power button powers off the <laughs> turns it off, and that's right, even turns worse. It off. <laughs> uh, I I found I have found the opposite though. I found that the only way I can get it to work reliably is to concentrate very hard on simultaneously post, you know, very with much concentration pressing both buttons at the same time. <laughs> it's even worse on the plus model too because it's so darn big. <laughs> just trying to time it is impossible. 
It's very anyway. Minor, like those are truly, truly first world problems. Yes, and not not a huge deal. But but you know, it's things things that I certainly wouldn't be adverse to an Apple engineer looking at and being like, hmm, maybe we need to adjust the timing. Yeah. Uh, trying to think what else people are complaining about. Like that might be it. Uh, yeah. Um, hmm. On the iPhone, people. I mean, people are complaining about the home button behavior. Uh, that aside, or just the feel of the home button. But I feel. I don't know. I really like the new home button. Okay, I that vastly was my next prefer question. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what setting do you use? Um, currently, I have the hardest click on because I do like. I just like the ta- the feel of the Taptic engine. So I like having kind of that that rumble um when i press in on the the home button but i also like kind of i i um matthew panzerino mentioned this in his review and i thought that it was quite quite smart where he was saying oh i switch i switch the the severity of the taptic engine when i'm doing things where i don't want to wake up my baby or i want to do you know i want to access the home button while i'm on a podcast and i don't want to disturb anybody and i'm like that's actually brilliant because there are so there have been so many times where i'm like i want to test out an iphone or test out a feature in the middle of a podcast but but the click on an old iphone especially if you're doing it anywhere near the mic is uh is pretty prominent and it's it's like a click on an old uh, click on an old trackpad or an old mouse. I am still firmly in the I prefer the old the old uh, button old button. And I, it's been enough time now uh, that I think it's I, I think it you know I forget when did I get this when did I start using this? It must have been three Two weeks, weeks ago. three weeks yeah. yeah. Um, but I can accept it. And I, I had that feeling right from the start, even just a day in. I was like, I don't think I like this. I, I think I prefer the other way, but it's fine. Um, I am also on button button level three. Um, other friend of the show, though, Ben Thompson uh, of Stratikery fame, is he loves the new button. And, and that's where I'm going with this, is that it is very clear that I don't like it as much. Other people, you, Ben Thompson... Uh, like it, prefer it to the old button. Ben also is a proponent of setting one. He thinks that uh, that setting three is for people who want to fake a button and that you should go with the flow that it's not a not a button. And he likes it on setting number one. And so I, on his advice, I spent uh, a day and a half on setting one. And I guess I can kind of see it. But then when I went back to three, I was like, oh, no, this is much nicer. No, I, you know, I just like tactile sensation too. This is like, this is the same reason why sometimes I will just open up the date picker and just play with it on the new models because it's just nice. I, it's, it's nice to feel. <laughs> uh, on that, I was thinking, I, I, I'm so glad you said that because you mentioned with the um, control center, when you go to mm-hmm. change the brightness slider, yeah, you, you, if you miss, you actually just slide over to music. They mm-hmm. should have a little taptic feedback for the slider. Oh, that's a great right? idea. Like a little you, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you, then you know that you've got the uh, the little, the, the thing that you actually slide. Mm-hmm. Well, especially I, you already have the haptic in control center when you slide up. Right. But you don't have a haptic sliding side to side. Right. So It would clearly. let you know, it would confirm for you that you've you've got the nubbin or whatever. I, I honestly think right now in iOS 10, 10.02, I think we're on, on the main seed. Yeah. Uh, Taptic feedback is very, I don't want to say haphazardly implemented, but it's very much like 
the engineers put in a bunch of potential things and then left out a bunch of potential other ones and like, let's see what sticks. Let's see what people like. Let's see if instead, you know, people might write and say, we hate all of this tactic stuff. But every, like, there are places where I feel like I should have tactic. Like in notes, tapping on a note to change to the keyboard view, I, I wanted like a little, a click mm. there to let me know, oh, I'm in editing view. Oh, I'm out of editing view. Or have you... um. Well, this is it should my feel like it comes up, like like yeah. in the way that when you spin the date picker, it feels like it's spinning in the direction that you are spinning. Yeah, the, the keyboard when it slides up should have like a slight chunk that would s- fake the simi- signify. Like yeah. when you had like a, a slider phone, and you'd you know like the old Palm Pre, you you know obviously when you slid the keyboard down, it felt like something was sliding down because it was. Hmm. Well, and you have uh, you have that feeling for control center anyway, so it's right. a it's a haptic that's already implemented. Right, it should be exactly say, the same as the the control center one. Yeah, have you used? Um, and this is my favorite haptic, maybe in the in the system. If you go over on the digital on the digital keyboard um, and you hold down, not firm press, mind you, just long long press on say the dash button, it brings up a little haptic to um, to change it from a dash to an m to an n dash to an m dash to a bullet Mm -hmm. and then when you're sliding between those you have haptic for all of those little those little options and that is my favorite like as soon as i discovered that that made me look towards the future where i was saying like where things are not so haphazardly implemented and when perhaps we might have the battery life to be able to put the entire keyboard haptic which i actually i really want to see a a full haptic keyboard even just as a proof of concept with the current haptic engine because i think it would actually be better not like obviously it's not going to feel like a real keyboard but i think it would be a lot better than people currently think it might be yeah i have that on um the moto x this is Mm -hmm. the my uh, my most i guess i'm waiting for see what google announces next week but the yeah it's the most recent android device i bought it's from december 2014 um and it's the one that you could you could pick what the material on the back is. Remember mm-hmm. that phone? Yeah. That's a real gimmick. But anyway, that <laughs> this phone has a, a haptic feedback on the keyboard, but it has no directional sense at all. You know, like, so whether you're in the, the Q at the top left or the M at the bottom right, it's the same tap. Whereas it seems like Apple's got something in the new phones that has a little bit of a, you know, a, a X and Y axis. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a rotational motor. And you can kind of feel that uh, even just doing 3D touch on the home screen, where if you tap on something in sort of the bottom right corner that's going to pull up uh, pull up a widget going upwards, you can actually feel it going up as opposed to pressing at the top of the screen and having a widget going down. Yeah. And I don't know how much of that is brain trickery and how much of that is actually the motor like jiggling in a certain direction, but it's it's nifty. I can't, I have to imagine that they looked into it and just either they weren't satisfied and therefore didn't release it or mm-hmm. there's some, they had to have tried it because yeah. for all the things that, you know, if we're going to start putting haptic feedback in the OS, the keyboard had, had to have been on the top of the list of things to try. Well, that's, I think that's got to be their eventual goal. Like when right. they talked about putting the, the haptic engine way back in the first generation of the Apple Watch, that was my first thought is I'm like, this is... This is our, our our slow path to getting a fully haptic keyboard and having that work properly. But I I have to imagine that haptic is not quite where they want it, where they actually want to you know put it on the keyboard because 
I, th- I imagine their eventual goal is to combine haptics with the pressure sensitivity of the screen. And really, like, in a, in a way that what 3D right. Touch is currently doing, but if you can actually feel depth, which you can, you can sort of with 3D Touch, but not really, right. and it requires a much bigger touch target area. But if you could feel depth on those tiny little keys, like, that, that is potentially a game changer for mobile keyboards. And it's, you know, it's, it, it would have to be done exactly right or feel like a gimmick. And yeah. right now, the, the Taptic Engine does feel a little, a little static, but the potential is there. The potential is there, and, you know, as I said, I, I can tell it's not ready yet, but I still want a third-party keyboard that just does an all-haptic keyboard just for fun, because <laughs> I think it would be a blast. <laughs> uh, I, I can't help but think it's coming. I do think, I, I've said this many times over the years, that it, it often matters what's, what's tacked on five, 10 years, 15 years after something was created, as opposed to what was there from the outset. And Mm -hmm. the force touch and the haptic feedback to me has that sort of, it would be different and more pervasive if it had been there right from the original iPhone. You know, it's like, like in the original iPhone, every single control, every, every single standard user interface control was, was reimagined from what that looks like on the Mac to accommodate the difference between a touchscreen with a big fat finger as opposed to a mouse and keyboard and a mouse and mm-hmm. pointer system where you have this pixel level precision. So things like the the date picker, right? Where you get a the spinning control on iOS as opposed to a drop down menu that you mm-hmm. that you get on I think that if they had if they had uh, 3D touch from the beginning Every control would have some sort of haptic feedback. Whereas, oh, like I you said now, agree. like you said now, it seems like half the teams went through and added some haptic feedback, and the other, some of the other teams, you know, just were like, ah, <laughs> yeah, they're like, okay, <laughs> there's yeah. no, there's pretty much no haptic feedback in music, for example. Right, music is another one of those that has a card that kind of flies up that could use it. But yeah, there's not a. I really think it's an early. We're we're seeing it in kind of its early days. And um, did you get a chance, there was an app on one of the demo phones at the event a few weeks back um, that was a music app where you could play keys. Yes, yes. Yeah, and it would, I have no idea what that app is, but I really want to find it. Um, I might be able to get that for you. Yeah, I, I could probably email somebody and get that, that information. But, um, but I just remember playing, like playing around with that and having a light bulb go off in my head and being like, this is what Apple's waiting for. Is they're not, you know, they're they're yes, playing with it themselves, but what they're really waiting to see is how third-party apps take advantage of haptic and also I imagine where they can steal. Like not not necessarily steal as in a bad way, but steal as in yeah. a like as in the pull to refresh kind of thing where watch how third parties are doing it and see if they're coming up with better ideas than the internal team is coming yeah. up with. Or see if they're they're they want to try something different that we've never thought of before. Yeah, so the I still I don't know what the name of it was, but the demo app they had put up like a piano keyboard that was the width of the iPhone. And it not only gave you the feedback, the feedback seemed to correlate to the location of the key you were pressing. Yeah, like, that's the main thing. Is it really did feel like it wasn't just that the phone was clicking; it was that the key on the screen was clicking. Yeah, it's not just it's not a rumble controller; it's a specificity controller, yeah. and and you could change uh, you could change how 
heavy your press was and you could feel that difference which that was the really like yeah again it's the it's the pressure combined with haptics which really makes this not just like a nintendo rumble rumble controller but something much more powerful yeah um let me take another break here thank our next sponsor and then we'll we'll go on from there it's our good friends at backblaze you guys know backblaze they provide unlimited native backup for Mac and PC. Uh, you get started with no credit card, no risk, a free 15-day trial at uh, backblaze.com slash daringfireball. Uh, here's the way it works. You go there, you download their software, you install it, you get a nice little uh, panel and system prefs, and it just starts backing up everything on your Mac to their servers in the cloud. Everything. It's not just like your home, you know, home folder uh, or your documents folder or something like that. You don't have to tell it. Uh, it'll just back uh, upload everything. And then if you have external drives, it backs those up too. And there is no limit and you don't have to pay more to get more. You just have to wait longer for everything to upload. That's it. It's just, and then what do you pay as you, once your 15 day free trials up five, five bucks a month, that's it per Mac. So if you have two Macs, you can back them both up. You'll call, you'll pay 10 bucks. Great deal. Five bucks a month. No limits, unthrottled, off-site backup. It is such a relief. You will sleep so much better knowing that everything on your Mac is backed up somewhere off-site so that if you know some sort of catastrophe happens, if your Mac gets stolen, if you spill water all over it or something like that, uh, you'll have an off-site backup. Uh, cannot tell you how great this service is i would recommend backblaze to you even if they weren't a sponsor of the show but uh i'm certainly happy that they are a sponsor of the show uh so go check them out uh you get a 15-day free trial backblaze.com slash daring fireball one time I, I i did a read for for backblaze and i said black blaze <laughs> and they and i think that's what i said and they went and registered the domain <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. <laughs> it's not, yes. not quite as bad as your, your botched Microsoft read. Yeah, if you go to close. if you go to blackblaze.com, <laughs> it'll just redirect you right to backblaze.com. So you could probably use that and they'll know you're coming from the show too, because I really doubt anybody else is mangled <laughs> in the same way. Uh, we we were, you were talking about the music app. I hear something. Yeah. That, here's something that I still don't get about up going from one phone to another. I don't understand how I'm supposed to get all my music from one to another. It just seems to me like every time I upload, I, I back up my Mac. I, I do. Here's how I do the phones. I do it to the Mac through iTunes because I think it's faster than iCloud. So mm -hmm. uh, I take my old phone or like the review unit phone I use for two weeks, back it up to my Mac, and then I take the new phone. And go through the initial setup and say restore from iTunes, and then I connect it to my Mac and I, I restore it, and then it seems like none of my music is here. It's all got the cloud, and I don't know if it's because yeah. I'm using Apple Music, and I, but I had all my all of my music. What I would like is to have my entire personal music library on the downloaded phone, on the phone yeah. for all time, you know. And then anytime I'm anywhere on an airplane or something like that, I've got all my music, and I would like to use Apple Music to listen to anything else that I want to listen to that I don't maybe don't own as a as a thing. And it doesn't seem to me like I know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> do you well, understand? They, I do. I completely understand. Okay. But only because I've spent like 
practically a year troubleshooting Apple so Music. Can you explain this to me? If you can explain this yeah. to me, this will this will be worth the entire episode of the show. Okay, so um, from what I understand, when you restore from a backup of your phone, your previous phone had all of your music locally, or had it, or ideally so. that's what you want. Right. Okay, so you had downloaded all of your local music previously to your previous phone, and for some reason it did not restore with that music. Correct. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So I'm just, as a guess, because you have iCloud Music Library installed, I'm thinking that Apple says, well, you know, John obviously wants, you know, wants his apps restored. And so we're going to make a, actually, no, do you, with, with an iTunes backup now, do you, do you still get all of your apps from the iTunes backup or does it make it download them from, from the cloud? I still have to download them from the cloud. And there, that's the trick then. So that's, that's their argument there is that to make your iTunes backup faster and not, you know, not stress about it so much, we're going to save your, your information and make sure that all of the data for your apps is all fine. And when you restore your apps, that data gets plugged back in, but we are not going to take the time to download multiple gigabytes of apps to iTunes and make your restore longer. And probably the same exact thing applies to your music where it's like you may have downloaded 40 gigs of music uh onto your old iphone 7 review unit but we're not going to wait while 40 gigs of music is backed up to this phone or backed up to your imac and then reback and then like transferred back to your to your new iphone 7 that's that's going to be that's going to be too long for you you're going to get frustrated it's going to take half the day so instead we're just going to say, okay, if you want to re-download that music, you can from iCloud Music Library. What mm. I don't get is when you restore a when you restore a um, an iPhone, your your apps all download automatically. I'm surprised that it wouldn't download your re-download your music from the cloud because it knows again it has that metadata. It knows what you had prior, so in theory that should happen as well if we're following that same that same model from the apps. But it doesn't sound like it's currently doing that. And that's no. that's a point of, of contention. Um, what I will say um, that Apple has done that's much better um, this time around with iCloud Music Library than prior, uh, well, A, they've made it so that if you're subscribed to Apple Music, your music gets uploaded to iCloud Music Library as your music. So there's no more DRM, which is very helpful right. <laughs> unless you're downloading an Apple Music song. And that also allows them to essentially split your library. So now um, there's a there's a setting. I'm just going into settings really quickly so I can remember what it's actually called so I don't misquote it here. But inside, um, inside Apple Music, there's now a setting called Add Playlist Songs. Um, and essentially, when you add music from the Apple Music Library, um, if you don't have add playlist songs enabled, those those songs will just go into an Apple Music playlist. Mm. So they won't they won't contaminate your library. They'll just kind of hang out um, sort of in an in an Apple Music repository rather than messing around with your local library. At least ha that's how it worked in the beta. Hopefully it hasn't changed. Songs. I like yeah. that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. That was a, that's a really nice like subtle thing and I believe it's turned off by default. It's so, on online and I don't remember turning okay. it on. So I don't All know. All right. Then maybe yeah, it might it may have changed in the beta. Um but that is that is one option for kind of separating your your two and then also of course there's the the downloaded music option um I think, I feel like there was an easier way to download a bunch of, 
I a bunch so of albums. Too, but I know. I, I didn't find it. And well, oh, you know, I mean, it also is probably. I'm like, I'm tapping on the my various albums, and I'm like, maybe I have all of my albums stored locally on this phone. Maybe that happened because I'm tapping on all of them, and it says delete from library. Of course, that may be delete. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Download. There we go. So you can download by album, and you can download by. Uh, no, you can't download by artist. I would just like to say, down- yeah, download everything. Download all. Yeah, I wonder if you can do that in the music settings. Now we're just troubleshooting on the I air. Know. This is no, great. Well, we'll look at that <laughs> later. Anyway, yeah, I wish. Down- I think I think that Apple Music is much better designed this year than last. I think it's a very promising sign that they, you know, they got it that what they what was so confusing last year i still feel like it has a long way to go it really does there is automatic yeah optimized storage is now a toggle which is really nice so you can just keep your downloaded music as your downloaded music right and that's the feature where if your device is running low on space it'll start uh, removing (laughs) calling (laughs) calling music that you haven't played recently which yeah. you know is a pretty good feature. All and only stuff that you can re-download if you if you need to. Yeah, I really wish there was an easier way to download all music. Right. It's it's a little frustrating. I still feel like at a fundamental level, it's it. They're trying to do away with the distinction between my music, my personal the the music collection I started building when Napster first collected. And I first started you know downloading MP3s or or turning my old CD collection into MP3s and Apple Music. This thing mm-hmm. that I pay for that has everything. I still, I just want, I just want all of my music, which now easily fits. I forget how big my total music library is, but it used to be in the old days where, you know, like when the eight gigabyte was the big iPhone, couldn't have it all. And now it's a joke. It's, I don't know if, if I've got like 10 gigs of music or something like that. Well, a 256 gigabyte iPhone can have it all easily. And it's, then some. Right. And, and then, record some 4K video, too. Right. And so then no matter where I am, if I have no network access whatsoever, I'm in an elevator on an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> I know that I at least have all the music that it's my music, and I can play it all right now. Mm-hmm. So anyway. That's, that's the way it should be. Uh, maybe in their, the, when they finally redesign iTunes. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Um all right. So, what did you end up buying a phone for yourself yet? I did. What did you I ended get? up? I ended up buying a jet black iPhone Seven Plus. And you have I it ordered, already. I have. Well, I have it because I ordered it. I didn't know um, that Renee and I were going to be um, getting review units until a couple days before the launch. So I ordered mine at three a.m., three o one a.m. Um, on the app on the Apple Store app from bed because I wasn't sure when when if like. Otherwise, when I would be getting a phone. Right. So I just, I went ahead and I was just like, I really don't, like, I really, I hate, <laughs> I hate the plus. Sorry, hashtag Mike was wrong. Um, but I, I, I wanted the camera features and I knew yeah. that if I was going to be writing about the camera features, I kind of needed the bigger phone. Um but I, I was like, you know, I also have 14 days, so if I really, you know, despise the the giant phone carrying, then I can I can return it and go back to an iPhone seven or wait like a million weeks to get an iPhone seven properly. Yeah. So I have that, and then I have um, 
an iPhone 7 and an iPhone 7 Plus that are my review units. So I actually have jet black iPhones in both models. No one come rob me. <laughs> um, you must have it, you must have gotten your order in like at 301. That's Eastern time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was probably one of the first people, at least in my Twitter feed, who actually got the app open and showing on the ordering screen. And I still... I still was pushed out a week. Like I didn't get my seven plus until uh, I don't know the middle of last week. I think that was the first batch. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they went, they went quickly. I think like two people I know got them on release day. And well, but did, was it the plus size? Cause the it plus, seems like the, the plus, plus jet black. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. If they, they must've really been like in the first, like right on the, right. yeah. <laughs> I had a lot of trouble with the app and in years past the app, always seemed like that was the way to go use the iphone app to order Mm -hmm. um so i switched like 10 minutes in to uh, after 10 minutes of things that not going well uh switched to the website and the website actually worked perfectly i just really bloop 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 new iphone bloop 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 another new (laughs) iphone (laughs) i had um i had no problems with the app once i got it to actually load my initial thing was just i i mean i was i was doing probably the horrible thing that no Apple server tech wants to hear, which is as, as soon as 3001 hit, I kept on force quitting yep. the app and then reloading, <laughs> force quitting, reloading, force quitting, reloading. It's like the, 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 the horrible version of the, you know, command refresh on a Mac. Well, and I got through probably 302, 303, and other people were trying to do that and didn't get through until 315, I well, think. That, it so. wasn't clear if you just left the app open whether it would reload. Yeah, right? no, is, it's true. It wasn't clear. I, I, my assumption was that it would, but since I don't know, force quitting, I know it's going to reload, so therefore I force quit. Exactly, right. exactly. It's the it's the same principle of uh, way back when with the live blogs. If they would, I don't just, know. <laughs> if they just would have printed on the there, you know, the store was down before before they enabled it. There was, mm-hmm. not, you know, if they would have just put on that page saying that the store is down, that there is no need to refresh. Then I would have tr- I would have trusted them, and I would have left it open. But instead, mm-hmm. I, yeah. um, it also says Mac rumors. I don't know if you saw this it, this morning. Uh, has a report from uh, uh, Ming Chi Kuo, the supply mm-hmm. chain guru, that uh, jet black models are suffering from a quote low casing production yield rate, uh, meaning thirty to forty percent of the units that they are making don't pass Apple's quality standards. This Which is for I'm, it doesn't I don't think there's any difference between the regular size and plus on that. No, no. Uh there or at least there isn't anything in his data that was released to to Mac rumors. But what I do think I'm I'm not surprised by it given how tetchy Jet Black is to begin with and you know the the deals with scratches and everything else. But specifically, you know, the I don't know if you noticed this, you have a at least one Jet Black uh review model, right? Uh, I have I and have a Jet Black review model and my the one I bought is Jet black is jet black. Yeah, the the thing that um, that we were noticing it and I more is that the unlike pretty much every other model of iPhone seven, um, there's a little bit of a um, of a like a protrudence uh, for the SIM card. If you put your finger on the on the side with yes. the jet black iPhone, you've got a little bit of a bump there. Where if whereas if you do that on anything like on another iPhone seven, like on a, a matte iPhone 7, you don't really feel that so much. And I, I have to think that 
there are little bits and little things like that with the with the anodization, especially because of the way they do this and the the double anodization process with, you know, I, I'm going to get it wrong if I try and describe it in detail. So I'm just going to avoid it. But I mean, there's, there's a lot of technology that goes into making this phone look the way it does, which is honestly uh, kind of magical in terms of like how ridiculous it ends up looking. Um, If I go into full princess in the P mode, I would, I would claim, and I think I could, I could do this blindfolded, uh, that my review unit, iPhone 7 in jet black, the SIM card prudence is almost indistinguishable. And on this one that I now own, it is noticeable. Not like, not like I am complaining about it. Not, it's not, yeah. But it is slightly different. And yeah. And I imagine all of them are slightly different. Like on my yeah. review iPhone 7, it is much more noticeable than on my 7 Plus. Mm. Um, there's def- a definite cutout. Uh, so are you happy that you ordered Jet Black for yourself? Oh, yeah. Without a question. I, I was a little nervous about it um, initially because I really wasn't sure how badly it would scratch up and whether or not the um, the material finish would be enough that I would feel comfortable keeping it caseless, especially with the 7 Plus being as massive as it is. But I have, you know, I've been rocking the review unit in a case because I generally try and not to destroy Apple's materials. Um, and the then, same way, I treat my yeah. review units better than the ones I own. And I know oh, some yeah. of the other reviewers don't. But they're like, ah, what the hell is a review unit? Yeah. The only thing I've done to the, the poor review unit is made it film underwater a bunch of times and it seems to be okay. Yeah. Good, good, good phone. Uh, but yeah, my, my seven plus I got in jet black, no regrets. I love, I love the tactile finish. I've yeah. got probably, I don't know. I'm like, the thing is I've got it. I know I've got a ton of scratches on this thing, but unless I'm looking at it in direct light, I really can't see them. That's kind of the, the beauty and the curse of the jet black finish is that in, in sunlight or in direct light, you can see every single scratch and like bemoan it and cry and like have it hurt your heart. Uh, But in every other lighting and just by holding it in your hand, you can't, you can't feel the scratches on the casing. Um, You can't, really notice them and even in direct sunlight it just it it looks again it 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 ages it's starting to age well as opposed to just looking like i could have seen a version of this maybe not an apple phone that had a a sort of this kind of aluminum anodization where the second you get a scratch you can start to see like the aluminum under the black casing and it starts feeling really weird and just not not ending up being a good experience, but I'm I'm pretty impressed in how they've ended up doing this. That was the problem that people had with Space Black on the the iPhone 5. Oh, it was just scratching Is that what they white? called it? Did they call it Space yeah. Black? I think so. It was um, either... It, it might have just been black. It might have been before the era of Space Blank. Well, whatever it was. I liked it, but it, when it did scratch or flake, especially around that beveled edge, um, it did show like the pure, you know, the more aluminum, naturally aluminum color underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do feel like they've gone back to these dark colors because they've got it down now where it, the anodization layer is like deep enough that like, even if you get a scratch, the scratch is still the same color as the, as the, 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 you know, the virgin, regular, yeah, yeah. The virgin device, you know? Yeah. I remember um, an Apple spokesperson talking to me about 
having the anodization, doing a double coat of anodization and having one of them seep into the pores yeah. of the aluminum, which I, may or may not be an actual description of like how the process actually works. But I, I, I can definitely believe that idea. And we did, I will say, our RIP Renee's review unit because he did drop it uh, a couple of times into into water at, at semi high velocities, and there's a there's a little bit of a, a chipped corner on mm. one of the phones, and that one the the very visible chip does have a lighter aluminum look to it than the rest than the just normal run of the mill scratches, but I think that's to be expected if you like. If you physically like smash a corner of your phone into into pavement, you're probably not going right. to retain that that beautiful finish. But right. the screen didn't break, so <laughs> it is a finish. I mean, that's it's not yeah. magic. It's not like they no. you know. Well, I don't. Maybe there's some. Maybe they could <laughs> make black, black aluminum, but it's it is a finish, not just like the the metal itself is that color. Yeah, I am 100 percent convinced I've made the right call for me personally. It took me a long time, though. Even when I recorded a week ago with Jim, I was I still ha- I was up on the fence You're as waffling. to whether it was the right move. But now I'm convinced, and I really don't even care what it looks like after a year, even if it's all scratched up. The feel alone is a, is enough for me because I've always been. I mean, it's uh, starting with the five, even five, five S, six, six S. So for four generations, I've always been a little unhappy with the slipperiness of the aluminum back. And mm-hmm. it was particularly bad with the iPhone 6. And anecdotally broken, backed up by the fact that the iPhone 6 was the one and only iPhone I've ever cracked a screen on. Yep. Um, and I remember last year with the 6S asking, uh, uh, when, when I got the review unit and had the briefing, I said, this feels more tactile to me. You know, did you guys change something? Or is it just that my old, my personal old iPhone is worn, you know, and they denied it. They said, oh, that's inter- interesting. You know, it's like a <laughs> weird way that when Apple doesn't want to talk about something, they won't deny, they won't say no, they won't say you're crazy. They'll say, it's interesting you would say so. No, I don't think we've done anything. Uh, but Nothing I think that they we're did. willing to disclose. Right. And I just think that they didn't want to say that the old one was slippery. So they didn't want to mm-hmm. say the new one is less slippery, but it clearly was to me. And it seems like everybody I know who's had both backs it up. But the difference with Jet Black is just night and day. It's, it's, oh, yeah. It's just not slippery at all, and that to me is like it. It just feels so much better coming in and out of my pocket. I'm so much more certain that I'm not going to fat finger the the phone mm-hmm. that uh, it's worth it. Somebody posted a picture on Twitter the other day showing their old, um, either very original or like first or second year iPod mm-hmm. when, when oh they were, yeah. I forget who posted the picture, but the back of the iPod was a very shiny, polished mirror aluminum, and it they all got scratched to hell. <laughs> like, oh yeah, and, the original case, <laughs> right? That it, you know, nobody complain. You know, we've we've gotten to the point now where where, and you know, if your personality type is the such that you the idea of these quote unquote micro abrasions bothers you, it seems to me that's very clearly half of the reason why they have the regular black in addition to jet black. I think the other half being the aforementioned production problems with jet black. Um, but it's, you know, if you're bothered by, by the idea of a easily micro abrasioned finish, <laughs> don't get it, you know? Yeah. No, one's, no one is forcing you to, to get the jet black iPhone. But if you, if you don't care so much about resale value, and I think that is a big concern for folks, especially overseas, is, you know, I'm going to get this phone, but I'm going to keep it in pristine yeah. condition for a year and then able to resell it. Um, and what's the Apple upgrade program? I think 
uh, floats out to more countries and more, you know, more areas, that will become less of an issue, maybe, possibly. Although, I mean, it's still, you're talking about reselling into the gray market, which is a whole different question. Um, but that's, that's the only reason why I could think to, to avoid the jet black or to get the jet black and then immediately put it in the, into a case. Cause you can, you know, my, my review unit, my iPhone seven jet black has basically been in a Senna case since the day I got it. Um, or the day after I got it and it, it has maybe, maybe one or two scratches on the back. And then the one, the one night that I kept it out of its case to do some, some <laughs> photo tests, it, um, this is this is my own my own damn fault. Um, I had also gotten a brand new nylon band, and I had taken it out of its you know out of the the packaging from the Apple Store, and I'd put the nylon band in my pocket, and I put the iPhone Seven in my pocket, and the nylon band's buckle rubbed up against the front upper corner of the poor iPhone Seven, so it has this now very very smoothed in set of scratches from that nylon band uh, buckle just kind of etching its way in there. And it doesn't, again, you can't, you cannot tell that it's scratched at all unless you catch the light. And then it's, and then it's this like circle of, circle of doom here. But otherwise, you know, eh, it looks fine. I do feel that the term microabrasion, it's slightly euphemistic, but I feel like it's warranted because for me, the definition between a scratch and a microabrasion is these microabrasions, and this is all I've seen on both of the ones I have here, are exactly like you said. You have to catch the light at the right angle and look for them, and then you can see them. But you can't feel them with your yeah. skin, and you can't even feel them with like your fingernail. And to me, a scratch is something that you can you can see in regular light and or something that you can feel with your skin or your fingernail. Mm-hmm. There's a, I got a scratch on, on my iPhone 6S Plus on the screen that is very noticeable. That's like a, a fingernail type yep. scratch. And I, you know, this, I, I've put the 7 Plus since I got it through some fairly hefty, like it was out on the beach uh, doing some photography for my upcoming Apple Watch review. Um, and I, I managed to walk away from this thing, not only being near the beach, but also being dipped in the water and like swum, swum around with sand particles and dust particles and everything else. And it came out of it pretty much pristine. Um, so I, I really think that although the yield rate may be low on the jet black, it's probably for a a good reason. And I, I kind of feel for Apple's shipping department and their, and their production lines, because I'm sure, Having the yield rate below is a pain in the ass for for their profit margins and everything else, but it's resulting in a, a hopefully a much better overall product for people when they finally get them into their hands. Yeah, uh, and I've said this before. I, I will probably say it again all year long. I actually feel bad for regular black because I love it. <laughs> I love oh, the regular gorgeous. black. Oh, it's gorgeous! I almost got it. <laughs> I wish that they had come out with it a year ago so that I would have had a year where I got to use <laughs> the regular black because I like it so much more than space gray's sort of. Am I dark? Am I light? Eh, I'm sort of in the middle. <laughs> Shrug. Uh, I really feel bad that that this this new finish that I absolutely love that I didn't. I'm not going to actually own. Here's my yeah. hope. my hope is that they bring the exact same flat black aluminum finish to the MacBook Pro. Yes, I would love that. And I, I do. I I really like the the flat black aluminum. I thought that was the phone that I was going to get until I touched the jet black. And I think yield rate and cost aside, even if the, it was the exact same yield rate and cost for Apple, I think jet black would be wrong for the MacBook Pro. 
I feel yes. like you you're you know like okay so there's fingerprints that you know that you can wipe off on this but the fingerprints are always pointed away from me right it, you mm-hmm. know on the back of the phone whereas like on the palm rest on your MacBook it would I think it would be I think it would be really ugly well I'm, also you remember the I I'm, I think about Apple's history with black laptops and I think about the Wall Street and I think about the black MacBook and all of those I mean I can't have they ever really made a glossy computer aside from the iBooks outer shell no I don't think so I just yeah. think it's I think it's glossy is just wrong for a MacBook. Yeah, it just doesn't feel right. So that's it my feels hope. My tacky. hope, my hope <laughs> is they bring the that that same black to the MacBook Pros and then I'll get to own it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. That's I would I would buy a new black Mac laptop in a heartbeat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would buy one. I'm so superficial. I would buy one, even if it didn't have any, if it was like, whoa, what's going on exactly here? Exactly the same. This is a two-year-old Intel CPU. I'd be like, I don't care. It's black. Right. It's mine. Uh, <laughs> let me thank our third and final sponsor. Um, I still have more I want to ask you about, but it's a good time to break. I want to thank Automatic. This is, uh, Automatic makes the little adapter. It's a, like a dongle, a dingus. It's like a little dingus, and it turns your car, whether it's new, whether it's kind of old, into a smart, connected car. Um, every single car made since like 1997 has this standard port somewhere under the dash. Uh, and it's where, when you go to the mechanic or you go to your, you know, wherever you go to get your car inspected and stuff like that, they plug in and it's a standard adapter and it's where they get all the diagnostic information from your car's computers. Um, Automatic is a dongle that you plug in there on your own. You plug it in yourself, and it gives you so much more information about your car. You probably didn't even know your car could give you this information. Um, I've had one for a while. I love it. It's great. That's the old one, though. They have a new Automatic has just launched Automatic Pro. It is their new unlimited 3G car adapter which has no monthly fees or subscription. So it, it, you think that's too good to be true. Well, Amazon's been doing the same thing with Kindle for a while where you can get a 3G Kindle and you don't pay for the 3G service. I don't know how they worked out this deal, but they worked it out. So now you're automatic. You plug it in your car. It's got 3G networking. You don't pay. It's just part of it. It's just built into the price of the device. And then you can do things like uh, if you forget where you parked or like if you share a car with somebody else in your house and you don't know where they parked, just launch the app and it'll tell you right where the car is. Uh, they have so many things in the app. It, it's obvious stuff like your gas mileage and you know what kind of miles per gallon you're getting. And it can give you tips on how to drive to be more efficient with stuff like that. Um, but they, it's, you can totally nerd out with automatic. They, they connect to uh, IFTTT, so you can get en- almost endless customization. Just things like connecting to, if you have a Nest thermostat at your house or Amazon Echo, you can do things like once your car is within five minutes of home, change the temperature in the house. It, it, you don't do anything. It just You just set it up, and then it happens automatically. Um, it is really, really great. And it's just amazing because you don't, it, there's no monthly fees or anything like that. L- not just for the cell service, but for the device. You just buy it, own it, and and you, you use it for free. It is so great. What a great deal. Normally, it costs $129.95. So let's call it $130. Um, use, um, use this exclusive offer code, though, the talk show, and you will save 20 bucks. So go to automatic.com slash the talk show. 
automatic.com slash the talk show. And you can get this cool device and save 20 bucks at the same time. Really, really uh, just a great, great product at an unbelievable price. Um, you can even, uh, you know, even has Apple Watch support. Uh, unbelievable. So go check them out. Automatic.com slash the talk show. Um, you've been doing a lot of stuff with the cameras, you and Renee uh, with the iPhone. And I saw last night, I think it was last night, but it was certainly over the weekend, uh, where you were doing like product review photography of Apple Watch and had, what did you say? It was like, you, is it a glider? What was it that you were talking about? Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, a slider. Slider. Uh, so yeah, with a, uh, and actually, I didn't even know this was the professional term for it until we were filming with uh, Michael Fisher, uh, who used to work for Pocket now, someone, and now works uh, on his own YouTube channel. And he brought these big giant slider rigs to put his camera on, which are basically exactly what they sound like, where you put your camera on a on a big like horizontal thing, and then you move your camera all along the slider reel while you're while you're filming, and it and it makes for those like beautiful nice pans that you see in product in product videos um, or like the the slow zooms the you know right. it basically it's like a it's like a tiny steady cam rig um, for the for the ground um, or for a table and. Um, I don't have any of that equipment uh, because I I do some uh, some videography, but I'm not you know I, I I generally am only doing videos for for specific uh, for specific events and and I think it was last year when we started experimenting with the idea of could we shoot a review video on a phone? I did a the iPhone 6s review entirely on my iPhone as a as a fun like just a, a throwback. Um, after Renee did his official review, and in order to shoot like those beautiful, like pretty uh, device shots, I'm like, well, I can't shoot this even with my. I have like a couple of different pseudo steady cam rigs for the phone, and even with those rigs, I can't shoot a nice slow pan without it looking jittery and and too much for Final Cut to fix. And so while I was filming this stuff, I had kind of a, an epiphany last year, and I'm like wait a second, what if I shoot in slow-mo? <laughs> so I, I, I flipped over to the slow-mo slider and I made sure it was, I think it's like one, 120 frames per second, 1080p, um, and then just shot the same, the same pan, but shot it in slow-mo with my rig. And when you play it back in slow motion, it looks I, almost identical to using I, those sliders. I, I've just done it. I've put a link to your tweet. With, which has the video in the show notes, and people can go. I was blown away. I, honestly, I just you know part of it is that um, I'm like I'm an idiot, and I still run a website that, like it's 2001, and you know there are, are no videos. <laughs> but <laughs> probably uh, for the best. <laughs> I I feel like one of the, I, I it made me realize that like I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't have a reason to do it for that. You know, like a product review shot of Apple Watch. But I realized looking at that that I'm vastly underusing slow motion video in period just for like my personal mm -hmm. use uh it's it, it's like it hasn't really gotten into my head that i have an amazing slow motion uh camera and that it it can make all sorts of things interesting like i tend to only think of the most obvious thing like catching my kid at, at like the beach jumping off a rock into the ocean well oh, mm -hmm. shoot that in slow-mo that'll look cool you know but that's like the most obvious that's like the first thing everybody thinks of that's your traditional slow-mo right. shot 
Right. You get you can get like like for just shooting like a panorama or something like that. I think it smooths out the motion in an amazing way. It, it's mm-hmm. just unbelievable to me that you sh- that this video and your tweet was shot with a phone. <laughs> I know. Without the- without like a, some kind of complicated tracking rig, what slider, whatever they call it. It, it really that- is amazing. That and on top of that, that particular shot that was shot freehand. That wasn't even shot with like a with a stabilizer rig or anything. That was just shot with my hands. Yeah, see that's next to a tr- it, it, that like, doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really really great shot. Thank you. I I have really been having a ton of fun with these cameras. Uh, not only with the seven plus and portrait mode and all of that stuff, but even with video. I think uh, one of the things that people are kind of discounting is that the iPhone 7 with optical image stabilization becomes pretty great for low-light photography, but becomes amazing for video all of a sudden. Like, the, yeah. the iPhone 7 is now a camera that I feel as comfortable shooting with as I did with the with my 6S Plus, which prior to that, the 6S Plus was the only thing I would use to film anything with because it just – it it looked too shaky and it didn't it didn't have the same you know the the right um temperature and color tone that i wanted because the the ois just you know there it wasn't there all it had was digital image stabilization and now that the 7 has that that's a huge step up for anybody who wants to shoot video um and then you combine that with the with the f18 aperture on the wide angle lens and it means that you can shoot video in lower light situations it means that your slow mo in lower light situations is going to look better and that's even that's even a, almost a bigger deal cuz yeah. um 240 Unfortunately, their 240 frames per second slow motion is still limited to 720p, which is kind of a bummer. I was kind of hoping that they would bump up maybe maybe we'd see 4K slow motion um this year, but it's, you know, there's only so much only so much you can do with a with a tiny tiny sensors. Well, uh, I, but, 4K is a big jump. I just getting it is. getting <laughs> the 240 frames per second at 1080 would be a Oh, well, exactly, exactly. I was hoping that we saw everything move up slightly one, so maybe we got 4K at like 60 frames per second, right? And then we got, uh, t- we still have 1080 at 120 and maybe 1080 at 240 would be- would have been really nice to see. But even so, you can do 720, uh, 720p at 240 frames per second now. Um, and in a dark room, that used to be a non-starter. It yeah. was just, you know, I would try and film, I, I used to do roller derby tests all the time for, for slow motion. Um, and the 240 frames per second option just was just no, it, it wouldn't work in a dark in any kind of like indoor practice space. And now it's a legitimate option. It's still not great because it's 720p, but you can actually you can use it without feeling like it's the worst thing that you've ever done in your life with a camera. Which is, I mean, that's not exactly high phrase, but it's there. There are some definite advances that come with both, both OIS on the seven, but also that that larger aperture on on both the seven and the seven plus, and the zoom feature. Did you you linked to Austin Mann's yes. adventure in Rwanda? Um, if you watch that video, uh, that. they shot that entire video on seven plus, which was kind of amazing to 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 sort of imagine. Um, but on top of that, um, they did several times during during the shoot. They had a video where they actually sort of jumped, um, uh, not even a rack focus, but like jump jumped from the first yeah. from the one X lens to the two X lens. And there's a little bit of uh, software stutter in between the two, but overall, it's it's a really cool way to to snap onto a subject. 
and something that I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that got used more often in photography. Yeah, it's uh, it is it. Well, I'm trying not to talk it up because I'm not going to use plus personally. <laughs> <laughs> so it hurts my heart to talk about. But you don't want to talk about portrait mode and all I that do, fun stuff. I do. Yes, <laughs> I, I, you know, got to be a big boy. If I'm going to, you know, use the small phone, I've got to got to face up to it. Um, mm-hmm. No, but it does. It is one of those things where I thought, oh, but this doesn't even work. You know, midway through a video, but it does, and it's it is pretty cool. Um, I do think, I think optic, sometimes with the camera stuff, it's like when you get all nerdy and start listing these, the technical specs, you know, and everybody knows megapixels. I think it's finally gotten through to almost everybody that megapixels is not a simple, the bigger the number, the better. Quantity right? versus quality. And yeah. it's, 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 you know, there's the factors like noise because you have more of these, you know, more light, you know, having fewer pixels, but having the pixels on the sensor be bigger so that they each soak up more light is actually way better than having more pixels. And you'll even if you even if your goal is to blow the picture up real big, you you get a better image. Um, optical image stabilization is one of those things where it just you know it, it, everybody can kind of figure out what it means. It's you know it's a very clear term, and you know like the illustration that Apple uses where they show the the little lens sort of bouncing on a you know little suspended thing, you get it. But the practical effects of it are so dramatic, especially for video, because like on a still photography, you don't really you may not know that optical image stabilization helped because it just means you can get a, a clear picture with less light. But you may mm-hmm. not realize, you don't have to realize that it is. But with video, it really is a very clear difference. In in typical just consumer you know, fashion, like you're at uh, the, the soccer game for your kid and you're just, you know, holding the phone out in front of you and panning it. Or if you're walking, you know, especially walking, right? And the, just the, even if you try to keep it stable, the, the motion that you get without optical image stabilization when you shoot video is really distracting uh, visually. It just looks yes. unprofessional. And the difference with OIS is so dramatic. It's not like, oh, it, imp- it really improves it a little bit. It really does make it look like you've got a, a Steadicam. Mm-hmm. Like maybe I, you're not I, the world's best Steadicam operator, but it does look like your phone is you know somehow floating through the air. It's really remarkable, both in the... Um the shots that we did for the iPhone 7 review and also the shots that I was having Rick help me with for the Apple Watch review, there were a couple of shots where, again, he's freehanding, walking backwards on a bike path while I'm talking. Right. And I get the, I, I take the initial video of that and put it into Final Cut Pro and I'm like, I'm going to to click the stabilization button and then I actually watch the video and I'm like, this doesn't even need stable. That's ridiculous. That's not fair. <laughs> like this, we've come so far and especially... I remember the the first time I got to play with a phone that had OIS, which is was the 6 Plus, I believe, was the first one. Shooting video on the 6 Plus, um, specifically with, uh, with Derby, and shooting video while being on roller skates and shooting somebody on roller skates, despite the little tiny bumps that happen when you're rolling on unpaven, you know, or badly paven concrete – it looked like I was basically running a $700 rig. And I remember the, you know, the, the two years before that, when I actually had a, a Steadicam rig for the iPhone 4 that I had, I had gotten from, um, from Steadicam from, as, a, as a review unit when they were trying to market Steadicam um, things for, for the iPhone. And thinking, this, this iPhone, this iPhone 6S or 6 Plus, shoots better, more stable video 
than the, you know, $200 Steadicam rig that I was playing around with all those years ago. Yeah. And that's crazy. Being a dedicated 4.7-inch iPhone user, not not liking the Plus size, it bothered me a lot more last year when the Plus got OIS for video than it did in the previous year where the Plus did have optical image stabilization, but only for stills. It bothered yeah, me yeah. way less because I've you know shot enough low-light stuff, you know, amateur style in my life where I know the tricks like resting the camera on a table or something so that it's not just my hand, you know, in low light, like ways to, you know, keep the camera as still as possible to, to do that. I mean, I'm not saying like my little resting the camera on something to hold it stable is as good as OIS, but I felt like uh, I could compensate for stills, but for video, there's no, there is no, there's no way to, to simulate it. It's a no, fantastic, I mean... <laughs> fantastic feature. And it, it's, it... I see people posting, I mean, I see people just posting just, you know, typical, not really thinking about it. I've got my camera. I'm just going to quick shoot a video of this weird thing I just saw in this, you know, here's a weird thing I saw on the sidewalk. Uh, the video looks so much better stabilized. Mm-hmm. And well, and on top of that, um, you think about how iPhones have been used to cover news breaking events and yep. things like that. Yeah. You know, for someone to be able to pull out a phone at a rally or, you know, God forbid, watching somebody get hurt by, a, by another member of society and be able to film that and have that that footage is now broadcast quality. It's 4K. Yeah. That's the, that's the, pretty impressive. The two biggest differences, I think, as consumer cameras have gotten to be so good at high def video, the two biggest differences between like professional footage and amateur footage is stabilization um, and focal length. You know, the, yeah, lenses, and that's still where the plus has the advantage. Where people, somebody, if somebody's shooting like a breaking news event, but they can't get close for whatever reason, they can switch to two X mode and get a dramatically different picture but when they do that yeah i don't think you, there is no ois on the 2x mode right no there's no ois on the telephoto so it's a it's much shakier uh both in you know in still photo and video right but it is pretty remarkable like you know I'm, yeah. i've been playing around a lot with the zoom um and digital zoom is still digital zoom it's not gonna you know blow the doors down anything when you start shooting at 5 or 10x but the fact remains that you can now shoot five and 10 X both in still photograph, still photographs and video. And even though the video, again, you're going to have fuzzy video at like very fuzzy video at 10 X, but you're going to have the ability to focus on that like tiny thing that you're zoomed into. Whereas if you were just shooting at like one X and then tried to blow it up artificially later, you were going to get a much fuzzy picture and being able to shoot at 10x, like, I, I thought this was going to be complete garbage, and I was yeah. never going to use it. And I'm still, you know, it's still not great. But for things like we were just talking about, for things like news broadcasts or breaking, you know, important things, you can get a legible picture at 10x. It's not going to be a great picture. It's not going to be a picture that I'd really want to put on the news. But it is a legible picture. You can see what's happening. Yeah, it's it's a... a Impressive difference, you know, in the same way that before we had the second lens that you could shoot at 2x and you knew it was digital, but, at, you know, I'd run, you know, and you couldn't get it exactly because they didn't show you exactly. But, you you know, you know, when you pinch that you're, you're not really pushing your luck with digital zoom too much, you know, it, you could get closer to something and it was usable. But now by starting with that telephoto lens, it's, it's really amazing. 
Yeah, it is. And I should, I guess I should clarify, um, on video, you can only go up to 6X, but it, it's equivalent to the framing of 10X yeah, on because, the, because they, video's they, pushed in. Right. Yeah. Cropped sensor, et cetera, et yeah. cetera. Um, so, portrait mode. Portrait mode. <laughs> this is the part. This is the part where I'm going to start crying. <laughs> well, you you got to play with it this weekend, right? You were playing yeah. with it on your review unit. I yeah. When did I put it on? Friday or Thursday? I think it was last Thursday. I did. I saw your Flickr photos yeah. of Jonas. <laughs> yeah, and some of them turned out great. And it's sort of a no lose situation by default because it shoots. It it you stores. Got both. It should you know by default you get both, and so if it does something undesirable with your image by blurring something that sh- probably shouldn't have been blurred or putting like, sometimes your heads look like there's a halo around them. It, d- it does the edge detection on hair is sometimes imperfect. The worst case scenario is you just delete the one with the depth effect and you've still got the no, nothing fancy was applied. This is just the image you shot with the, the camera picture. And it also, the fact that it does both really does make it fun to compare. If you want to nerd out and try to figure out how, <laughs> how the heck they're doing this. Yep. And you're like, oh, which is which is blurred and how much is blurred? And it was interesting because I did a, a ton of tests of this. That my first thought as soon as it became live as the, the beta was the developer beta was I think live on Thursday. Or Thursday or Wednesday. Wednesday because yeah, the maybe. public beta was live on Thursday. And so when I downloaded it, my first thought was, well, you know, Apple keeps joking that it's gonna compete against it or that it looks, you know, at small scale, at least, indistinguishable from a DSLR. So I'm like, well, let me just take my entry-level DSLR and shoot comparison photos. Uh, So I shot the same, like, 12 photos side-by-side, one with a Canon Rebel XTI with a 40-millimeter 2.8 portrait lens and one with portrait mode on the 7 Plus. And, you know, it's not... I mean, it's still a DSLR and it still has a much better sensor and a much better, you know... uh, uh, mine isn't a full frame; it's a cropped frame right. camera. But you know, for comparing a, a eight hundred dollar camera to a nine hundred dollar smartphone, um, the Seven Plus takes photos that are in fifty to sixty percent of cases on on this beta. This number, you know, beta number one, not even really available for public consumption outside of the public beta program. It takes photos that are up to a certain point comparable to the DSLR, which is that, that is a little bit mind blowing. And it's like, I've taken great photos on an iPhone before and great photos that I've preferred to a photo that my Canon shot, but the, but to, to not necessarily show up the Canon in a 40 millimeter portrait, but to play in the same ballpark as that to like go into a major league baseball game and be like, no, I'm not going to bat 400, but I'm still going to hit some pitches and I'm going to maybe like get a double or a triple every now and again, like from a cell phone camera <laughs> that that blows my mind. It's a very Phil Schiller feature because I know that Phil is a, a serious amateur photography enthusiast, and uh, he really described it so fairly on stage because he emphasized, he went over backwards to emphasize that in no way, shape, or form does this feature on the iPhone pose any threat to the digital SLR as in terms of genuine image quality. Yeah, it's right? not It's not going to replace your DSLR. But some of the shots that you get with this are in this, like, heretofore... Uh, uncharted territory between what you get with these little tiny lenses and sensors on phones 
and what you can get with an SLR. Like it isn't side by side. The image quality is, you know, not going to, you know, the fake bokeh isn't going to compare to the real shallow depth of field of a nice camera. But when you just look at the image, it is on when it works, it's so much better than the image you were going to get without this effect. Oh yeah. And it's when it, and when it works well, it's, it's incredible. And it's one of those things where you, I hate, I hate this phrase, but it's still relevant. It's the whole best camera is the camera yeah. that you have with you idea. And it's like, um, the T4i is a wonderful camera. And I definitely like, I bring it along when I'm going to things where I want semi-professional photos, like weddings or vacations, things where I really want to have beautiful memories and I want like to be able to shoot some artsy photography. Um, and with the iPhone 7 Plus, like things I wouldn't bring it along to are, are like events like I went to yesterday where Rick and I went to like a corn maze hmm. and like picked out pumpkins. And I'm like, I'm not going to bring a fancy camera to shoot pumpkins um, because, you know, it's I, I don't know. It's not it's not 2006. This right. is not this is not my life anymore. Uh, but I shot a whole bunch of stuff on the 7 Plus And looking through those photos, I'm like, these are not again, these are not photos that are going to beat the T4i, if I had brought the T4i along, but I'm not regularly carrying my Rebel. My Rebel doesn't fit into my back pocket. And for me to be able to get photos that are like 75% the quality of the Rebel and photos that I would feel comfortable even because they were in good light blowing up to to like a, a picture frame or something like that, like that's that's pretty fantastic that's a that's a really wonderful step forward for mobile photography the threshold for do i want this heavy camera on a strap around my neck all afternoon is getting higher and higher you know Mm -hmm. the bar is getting raised for just how how much i care about the pictures to do it yes exactly how how many years are these pictures going to be in uh, in rotation and you know how how big a size am i going to eventually want to blow them up I am so curious as to how long it's going to take for this dual camera system to trickle down to the smaller size. Like, is I, I, you know, is next year too soon? It might be because it's, you know, like optical image stabilization took two, two years. Yeah. Although, Although of course, when it, when it came, it came for both image and video, you know, that is true. So it's like less than two years behind. It's like, you know, it, it caught up to where they were last year. Yeah, I I think it's really going to depend on how the form factor changes, if at all, in the next iPhone. Because, you know, there there are, of course, rumors of the idea of getting rid of the top and the bottom of the bezel and making the iPhone a little bit smaller, um, you know, squat-wise. And while that would be awesome from a holding a plus model perspective, it does mean that you're taking away usable space for things like sensors and battery and stuff along those lines. So I, you know, that's, that is going to be a big question. If they change the form factor, are they still going to have enough space to, to add the double lens camera on the seven? And if they do, um, are they going to have enough space to, to add stabilization to the second lens on the plus? Cause I think right. that's, that's the no brainer next step feature. Right. Yeah. Or putting in a, a bigger, the, the seven, the telephoto sensor also has a smaller sensor than the the wide angle lens, and that's that's also something that's like damaging the photos a little bit. Not, not I think a ton. That, I, but. I think that one though is a factor of like if you do the sideways drawing of the lens optics, it's yeah, it's it, just it's impossible. I, yeah, I think it's actually impossible unless they made the bump stick out further. 
that they're sort yeah. of like a Mac, like the sensor size is determined by, okay, if we make the lens, this is how big the lens will be circumference. This is how thick the lens, you know, how far out we're going to allow it to protrude on the bump. Mm -hmm. Then you just draw these lines and then that defines how big the sensor is. So I think yeah. that I, the consternation that people had about the sensor size of the telephoto thing was misplaced because there's, there's nothing that can be done about that. Yeah, it's it's physics. There's really in the same way that if they put a wider if they put a wider angle lens like a fisheye lens, you could get an even bigger sensor because it would you know, mm -hmm. the, because the of the, the optics, right? Yeah, absolutely. OIS though would be a huge win. Um, yeah. Why do you think? Why do you think that portrait mode is in beta? I um, it's better than I thought. I thought it was going to be like crashy. Not, yeah. it seems to me like the only problems it has is that it still sometimes, you know, fuzzes out the side of your head or something like that. Yeah, it's data. It. I mean, so here's my, my curiosity and my question is I wonder if they're using differential privacy in, in the beta to gather like anonymous information about these photos. To, figure, to better figure out. I don't know how they would, though. Yeah, I don't, know I don't how think they so, would. because I didn't have yeah. to opt into anything privacy-wise. No, you didn't. Like it seems like it's all just right there. You just had to opt in to say, I agree that this is a beta. Yeah, um, but I'm not sure if that's in the beta. Like, because that's the thing I would think, is that you use it as a beta so that you can have people, you can not only have data to figure out how to make your your detection better, but you can also have people give feedback and say like, yo, this picture is great, except it blurred out half of my hair. Right. And and this picture of an object is great, except, you know, half of the object is out of focus. And granted, you know, object uh, object detection is not officially supported in any way, shape, or form. If right. you go by the official Apple line, the only thing you should use portrait mode for is portraits. But of course, people like taking close-up pictures of their pets and objects and things like I saw a great photo of um, a pair of boots today I'm that looking kind at of that blew on me your away. Twitter account as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a it is a perfect example of a photo where I wouldn't want I'm not a I'm not enough of a photo nerd and at without zooming in just looking at it at the natural size if you wanted to Pepsi challenge me like okay was this shot with portrait mode or was it shot with a $2000 Canon SLR and a 50 millimeter prime lens I would not want to answer the question because I, no. I, I I can't tell. You can only really tell blowing it up to full screen resolution on my 5K iMac. <laughs> right, and that's sort of sort of one of the reasons that I think that this feature is going to be so popular and it's so useful is that so much of the time we spend looking at photos is on iPhones or you know other phone size screens, and the difference between the fake depth effect and the real optical depth effect of a better camera, it's it's way harder. The smaller you make the picture, the harder it is to tell the difference. Absolutely. And they're doing, Apple is doing a really smart thing here in terms of the levels of detection they're using, the the depth map that they're making, um, where I feel like Android, there have been Android phones that have attempted to do a feature like this right now before. And um, actually our friend friend of iMore um, and our Canadian editor, Daniel Bader, did a comparison between the Honor 8 camera and um, and the iPhone, which because they both have dual lens systems and a mm. fake bokeh kind of effect. Um, but the difference, the main difference is that not only is Apple using this as a in a in a pseudo telephoto portrait style lens, 
Um, but they're they're blurring. The blurs are are soft when it works well. The blurs are soft, gradual, and intentional, so that in the very far back of the picture, you've got it at sort of max Gaussian blur. But if you get to like the second depth, so like the the leaves, like I'm looking at one of the the corn pictures that I did, the leaves right behind my head are only slightly blurred. When you compare that to the blur at the very back of the cornfield, which is much more blurred and almost to the effect, almost to the extent where you'd get kind of the quote unquote bokeh style light um, aberrations. Whereas um, stuff like the Honor 8 just does a flat blur and mm. doesn't really try and make a, a super depth map of it. Or maybe it tries to make a depth map, but it just fails utterly and just ends up just doing a mass like, here's, here is the subject cut out of the picture, and then here is just straight Gaussian yeah. blur. And that's that was my fear when Portrait Mode launched, is that it was, or when it launched, when it was announced, was that it was going to just be that where it's just going to be straight Gaussian blur and then subject cut out. And they've really done something much more refined with this. I, I guessed very wrong about how it was going to work. My initial guess coming out of day one of the Apple event, based on what they said, was my guess was what they were going to do is use the two cameras to create the depth map and use that to set focus point, the focus point on the, the telephoto lens, which would take the main image, but that they would mm-hmm. then take a second image with the wide angle, or yeah, with the wide angle camera, but at a focal length of like one inch, so yeah. that it would blur everything. Everything would be blurry, and then they would crop that, you know, something like that, like <laughs> so that you'd get actual optical blur from the. But that's not how they're doing it at all. That is not. No. And um, but it might I, be in the future. <laughs> I don't know, but it's this. It, it, the reason I my mind went that way is I thought it would look better, but this looks so much. This looks so much better than I thought it would, based on the fact that it's all in software from a, a you know, all with all the imagery coming from the one lens. Oh yeah, there's. I mean, some of these images I look at and and like this. The ISP was able to give this to me in under a second. Like this didn't take. Yeah. Five minutes of rendering to yeah. to put well, together. Well, I do and- think, and it's you know they're doing it live. I mean, it's so mm-hmm. fast that it, the preview is live. But I do. I wonder if that is one of the reasons they're calling it beta because the frame rate on the live preview. It's imp- I know I'm complaining about this thing that a couple of years ago <laughs> would have taken like thirty seconds to render in Photoshop. Uh, you know, you'd have like a progress bar <laughs> showing you yeah. how, how close it is. <laughs> and now I'm getting it as a live preview, and I'm complaining about how slow it is because the frame rate looks to me like it's somewhere in the 20s it's it's clearly under 30 frames per second now yeah it's definitely i I would say looking looking at it side to side it's probably 24 but maybe it's not even it's not stat you know maybe it varies given the complexity of the of the picture and but I've definitely seen it stutter when it's trying to figure out um, more complex depth maps. Um, even in in times when the actual picture ends up coming out really well, like a picture of pumpkins I took, the original depth map that it was previewing for me had like half of the pumpkins blurred. Uh, and I've and I've learned kind of to trust that the ISP knows what it's doing. And even if the preview isn't correct, it's probably it, going to look better. It really must have killed the product team that this didn't wasn't able to ship in the first version just because all yeah. of the, all of our initial reviews didn't all we didn't ever include met, it yeah right, all <laughs> we could mention about portrait mode is that you know this is a feature that's coming in and a software update 
Mm-hmm. But and it is, it is super compelling in my better opinion. better to get it right than to ship it early and have it be not great. Right. And it's like it's not bad right now. It's it's very promising for for beta one. But I I'm glad that they're starting it as a beta rather than shipping it unfinished or shipping yeah. it kind of with haphazard edge detection. Yeah. I just don't know how they're gathering data to fix it while it's in the beta. I don't know either. And I've definitely noticed, and I don't know how much this is factoring into the beta description. Like you said, it definitely wants you to take a picture of a person because it's it it you know, it's doing this facial recognition to get the focus point in a depth map. And when I've tried to use it to shoot inanimate objects, the results are it, it's harder it, it it often refuses to even engage depth mode. Um and then even when it does, it's it's all messed sometimes all messed up in terms of yeah. what it chooses to blur. Have you manually have you used the manual focus point? By tapping the screen? Yeah. Uh yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't work. It sometimes it doesn't help. It does so for some reason it'll it'll focus on that point. It doesn't it's not that it doesn't focus, but it isn't able to do the depth map. To do the yeah, to the do the blur properly. So for you know, I probably most people most people listening either don't already have a seven plus in their hands. And even if they do, they may not be foolish enough to be running a developer beta <laughs> on it. So by the time most people listen to this, they, you know, they won't have used it firsthand. The thing is it's, it's very much like um, the HDR indicator. So when you're, you know, before you even snap the photo, if you have HDR on, it'll, it'll, the HDR indicator turns bright yellow. So, you know, you're getting an H HDR is on. Like if you have mm -hmm. HDR set to auto. So when you, when you're shooting in portrait mode, um, you know, whether it sees whether it's going to shoot with the mode or not, because it actually turns yellow with a yellow background and says depth effect. And if it does, if you don't see that, you're not going to get, you're definitely not going to get the depth effect. Um, so you don't even have to judge it based on the, the live preview to see if you see the fuzzy background or whatever. If you don't see that yellow indicator of depth effect, it doesn't, it's, it's confused by what it's, what's in the frame and hasn't yet done it. And with inanimate objects, it definitely can take a lot longer than with humans. With Absolutely. Humans, with humans, you really can just sort of put it in that mode, frame it, shoot, and trust that it's going to use depth effect. Yeah, it's not too bad with pets. It works pretty quickly. Um, That's my question. My question was because of the 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 vague similarities, you know, eye, eyes and a round head. Does it does it seem to do better with pets than say, you know, uh, bottles or shoes? Yeah. Oh yeah. It has it has a lot of problems with anything that's semi reflective. Uh, so iPhones, it doesn't have a, a huge uh, success rate with right now, especially jet black iPhones. Um, or uh, I tried to take a picture of a whiskey bottle that I put in my DSLR comparison and it was like half blur and half bit whiskey bottle. And then the label was blurred out. Uh, so it has problems with writing and it has problems with reflection. Um, but pets seem to, it, it seems to treat pets pretty well. Uh, I've gotten some really, really spectacular pictures of my dogs with, um, with this mode engaged. And even I was taking pictures today um, out on a walk with, uh, with one of the dogs. So this was motion, uh, portrait mode. Uh, and even, even like while my dog was moving, it managed to get a pretty good, pretty good picture. I've only granted, I've only looked at it at, on the like preview and photos. So I could go back and look at it now and it could be awful, but to my, to my recollection, it actually looked pretty great. Yeah. I shot, uh, uh, a whiskey bottle actually for a friend. Cause it was somebody who was looking for a recommendation and I 
Um, and I, it came out amazing. I think I'll send it to you now. Let's hope I'm sending it to the right person. <laughs> nope. That's my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Close um, enough. No, but it was definitely, but it definitely took some time to, with the playing with manual focus to, to get the depth effect indicator to come on. Yeah, it, it, you have to take a little while, and then even when the depth effect indicator comes on, it may not always work. Um, they, I feel like with objects and with non, non-human non subjects, there's one of two things that happens. It's either it blurs out too much stuff, and it goes you know too much into the, into the actual object, or it creates this very fine cut around the around the subject and if you zoom in you can see like maybe like a a millimeter half a millimeter of fuzz of the of the uh pre-blurred background but when you're looking at it you know in um just on on an iphone screen you can't really tell yeah um i also and this this whiskey bottle shot that i sent you is one more example of it to me where it it seems to me like, and again, maybe I'm uh, uh, I'm getting a placebo effect here because I'm seeing what I want to see, but I I think so far, and this is something I've only noticed after I wrote my initial review, but it seems to me like the noise you get from the iPhone 7 cameras is a more pleasant noise. Oh, it's, especially on the telephoto. Yeah, and the- it's this whiskey bottle shot I sent you to me. And it's sort of, it, I used to have this camera year, from years ago. It, I, I used it so much that it, it actually, I used it until it wore out and like it, it, it broke. Like the digital camera just, it, it just doesn't work right anymore. It was a, called a Ricoh. It was from Ricoh. It was a Ricoh GRD. Um, and Ricoh is sort of an obscure, everybody knows them as like a photocopier ca- company. They don't have a big presence in North America. And when I bought the Ricoh GRD, I think it was like 2006 or so. It was like a point and shoot with a fixed 28 millimeter F1.0, F1.8 lens, or maybe it was a 2.0 lens, but a very, very fast hmm. lens for, especially for a 2005, 2006 point and shoot. Yeah. And um, I had to buy it on the gray market because they didn't actually sell it in North America. Um, but it was my, it's probably one of my favorite, probably my very favorite camera camera that I've ever owned in my life. In fact, I wouldn't hesitate as, as just as a camera it i've take i took more great photos with that camera because it was small but one of the things rico and it made me buy it was that rico had this reputation uh that their digital image processing created more film like noise right noise is mm-hmm. in with small digital cameras noise is inevitable there's no way to get around it the, the combination of the size of the sensor and the size of the lens you're going to have noise um but that it, some of the shots I shot over the years with the Rico really, to me, looked like vivid film prints, but like you know ISO four hundred or ISO eight hundred film prints, where you know there is no, there's definite film grain, um, and but it's just pleasant to look at. I think the iPhone seven cameras have that sort of effect that it, they've, and I think it's to their credit where maybe I think in if we wanted to knock the iPhone six and six S cameras, that maybe they went too far trying to reduce noise, you know, and that the noise reduction, the, the bad effects of noise reduction were a little bit too visible. They try and smooth it a lot. And that's something, I mean, I see that I'm sending you a couple pictures trading um, of okay. uh, a couple of low light pictures, especially um, I'm still seeing that sort of smoothing process happening on 
the wide angle lens and on sort of brighter, brighter uh, facial tones when you're shooting indoors. But the these dark shadows, I think the iPhone yeah. 7 and 7 Plus cameras are doing so much better on. Whereas prior, you kind of got just either like a flat, like very, very variegated blur on on people's faces. Just it's I can't describe the smoothing yep. exactly, but it it feels very digital. It feels very ta- not not tacky isn't a bad thing, but tacky is in like almost sticky, almost in, yeah. This in a weird. Uh, picture you sent me of Rick is a great example. Like it, nobody's going to call this your best picture of Rick. But no. it is, it, but it it just doesn't it has a character to it that you just never would have thought came from a phone camera. Exactly and, the and, the soft and, blur on that is beautiful. Right. And you end up with yeah. And I'm looking at the noise. It's in your like, is it your kitchen? I don't know. But there's yeah, there's, that's my kitchen. It's obviously at night, and there's dark shadows underneath the cabinets, and there's there's not really noise underneath them. It's really no. really effective. Yeah, it's a. I I'm really looking forward to, especially um, one of the sort of downsides to the telephoto lens is, of course, because it doesn't have OIS and because it's a two point two point eight aperture. Um, on the normal photo mode, if you try and shoot in a low light situation, it automatically defaults to the wide angle lens zoomed yeah. in two x. Um, but it doesn't do that with portrait mode. So you right. can actually use portrait mode, even if you're not using the depth effect, to shoot low-light portraits with that right. telephoto lens. And I, I really do think that the telephoto has a much nicer grain, maybe maybe because of the fact that the the aperture is a little bit higher and and the light uh, received to that sensor is a little bit different. But yeah. it's, it really does produce these really beautiful, maybe it's just the framing, but it, it, it produces these really beautiful, almost film-like images. And I like that. I love, I love that texture. Yeah. And I, some people would complain, like when my Rico nerdery, the, the, the counter argument was you shouldn't be trying to simulate film, you know, be pure to digital. And I think that's nonsense. I think you should be trying, you know, that the, the engineer, you want a good image. Right. The engineers should be optimizing for pleasantness. And whether yes. that means simulating film or not, it doesn't matter. If does this look is this more pleasing to your eye? And if the answer is yes, then do it. Whether it's legitimately digital or fake analog, you know, don't worry exactly. about it. Exactly. Don't looking at it. that looking at that whiskey bottle you sent me. Like the, yes, the blur is artificial and the blur is Gaussian. And I know a lot of people are throwing their hands up and just being like, well, it doesn't look like an optical blur. It looks so yeah. fake. I'm like, yeah, but the picture of the whiskey bottle with the artificial blur looks about a hundred times better than the whiskey bottle without the artificial blur. Yeah. It's you actually know? not a Gaussian blur. I, I don't know if is you it saw not? this. Uh, Matthew Panzerino, friend of the show, uh, off, you know, frequent guest. He he got the scoop on this. He got like uh, two days pre-release access yeah. to the beta software, and had a really great article at TechCrunch on on this thing. And he had written that it was a Gaussian blur because somebody at Apple at, at, in product marketing that's what they told that, him that that's what they told him. But then somebody who worked on the the code was like, "Oh no, no!" And then it was like this whole hassle of like somewhere within <laughs> Apple, somebody you know who had worked on. <laughs> on a code wanted it to be known that no, we're not just doing a Gaussian blur. They've, I forget the term, but it's like they, they've created their own custom disc blur. Okay. Well, so <laughs> I got my information from Matt's original right, review. Right. So now that, that's very interesting. Right. I, so I can believe that. Yeah. If you reload it, he's got like a, an update at that section, but <laughs> it does asterisk. make some amount of sense where that it's a disc blur that, cause mm-hmm. that's sort of the bokeh effect. Uh, yeah. 
Well, it gets you. It gets you closer to that that light effect, that lighting effect that people associate with the the sort of bokeh look. Right. Um, one of the few things I do know about photography is that the effect of actual bokeh it matters uh, what shape the iris. What's the iris of the camera called? The, uh, the in terms of the lens, the, the the thing that opens in front of the lens. The, the little disc thing that opens in a circular The shutter? <laughs> yeah, the shutter. I'm, the yeah. shape of the shutter. Um, Always depends on how it renders it, it, Yeah, and a, a less expensive camera will have fewer parts to the shutter because it's cheaper, right? It's cheaper oh, to yeah. make a five-sided thing. Whereas a more expensive camera has more parts, and so therefore it's, more, it, it's closer to a sphere as it opens. Interesting. And so a more expensive, so just looking at like Canon's 50 millimeter lenses, you get better bokeh out of the more expensive ones. One of the reasons why is the glass is better. But number two, because the shutter has more elements, it actually Mm -hmm. creates more of a spherical bokeh effect. That makes a lot of sense. So it makes sense to me that their blur is a disc blur. Yeah, to try and emulate. Well, and also um, the pictures that I just sent you um, are from my DSLR comparison. And the top one is the iPhone 7 Plus and the bottom is the the Canon yeah. XTI. And you can definitely see the difference in sort of that, that lighting effect um, yeah. between subject and then the, the light coming through the trees yeah. uh, in terms of how that lens operates. So that that is something I didn't know about about the shape of the shutter and how much. And that actually makes a ton of sense because you're dealing right. with a much smaller, um, much, by nature, kind of has to be less complex camera because there's really only so much space you can fit inside there. Uh, and so concludes the half hour segment of the talk show where I talk about the camera I won't have <laughs> in my pocket for the next year. It's okay. I, Just remember, I, I mean, it's it's about the price of a DSLR, so you could always buy an right, iPhone to it shoot it with it. Yeah. I no. will say, uh, just a, as a final point of the show, that it, I spent almost a full two weeks with the Plus as my sole camera, practically speaking, and loved the loved the camera, especially loved the portrait mode, um, and hated everything else. And everything I else, everything else. <laughs> I, I really, I really just, I just disliked the size. I, I use my phone too much one handed to, uh, to use the plus. And so I'm, I am convinced that my love for the dual camera system aside, it still doesn't outweigh the, the benefits to me, just the hand feel and pocket feel of the smaller one. Yeah, the the large one for me is definitely a trade off for the camera, and it it pains my soul because I right. really I really love the jet black iPhone Seven. It's it is so comfortable. It's the reason why there's a Senna case on that one and not on this, on the Plus yet. I realize, and I do realize. So, for my advice to people though is if you if you can vaguely tolerate, even just yeah, I don't really love it, but I can tolerate the Plus. Get the Plus because it is oh, yeah. amazing and. For the first time, like in previous years, I definitely reviewed the Plus and I spent a couple of days with it. But it was so clear to me that I didn't want it that I spent most of my time with the one I figured I'd use. Whereas this was the first year where I spent like a two solid weeks living with it as my day-to-day phone. Mm-hmm. And the battery life difference really, <laughs> really oh, it's, it's almost, shocking. <laughs> it's almost comical. Like there was one night where I literally forgot to charge my phone overnight because I was <laughs> so back and forth between two phones and. I, mm-hmm. I just left it downstairs, and I, it still had forty four percent battery life. It was like, yeah. What's uh, what's your iPhone seven battery at right now? I don't have the percentage on. 
And I actually was <laughs> plugging it in while we recorded. So. Oh, okay. Well, then uh, never mind. Last <laughs> night, though, it did. It got down to. It got down to the red before I went to yeah. bed. The, I mean, the iPhone 7's battery is certainly much better than the than the 6s. So even if you're upgrading from 4.7 inch to 4.7 inch, you're going to see a good good upgrade. But oh man, the the plus is battery life. I mean, I for my when I switched back to the 6s from the 6s Plus uh, last year, I pretty much had a had an Apple battery case on that thing pretty much constantly since after the Apple battery case was released. Cause I'm just like, well, this is easy because it has the lightning connector so I can plug it into all my lightning things. And it basically gives me the battery life of the plus, but now I get to have the battery life of, of the, of that kind of an iPhone, but I get to carry it without a case and I get to enjoy the jet black finish. And that probably would not happen if I had an iPhone seven, <laughs> I'd probably just put it back in the battery case. <laughs> I like I like uh, my battery. I I, I I I've you know the battery life on the iPhone Seven is fine, and it does seem, if anything, a little bit better. I think in real life than the success for me, but it's nothing compared to the Plus. The Plus is yeah. like it really is like having a battery case case on your phone. And I it's, you know I'm not saying anything everybody doesn't know or that the advertised specs don't indicate, but it's like you could just use the hell out of it and and not even worry about a charge. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my take. Anything else you wanted to cover before we, we wrap things up? Oh, gosh. I feel like we could talk Apple Watch, but there's so much. <laughs> yeah. it's I I don't have a lot to say about it because it's not that different from, a, a, like, as you call it, I love the Series Zero. <laughs> I love it. But it's, it's, you know, a Series Zero that's updated to Watch OS 3 is, you know, it's got almost everything. The brighter screen, though, is enough for me because I it really is the difference between being unreadable and yeah, I can read it in bright sunlight. Yeah, the brighter screen is is pretty nice. Although it's especially nice for me because, and this is kind of my big thing, is that I had a thirty eight millimeter Series Zero, and I don't know how many people who listen to your show struggled with the thirty eight millimeter all for the last you know seventeen eighteen months. Um, but the 38 millimeter has abhorrent battery life. Hmm. Um, I mean, it, it was it was made with pretty much the bare minimum, you know, the, the the bare minimum acceptability standards. I think because I would use that, I would use that watch, you know, one two hour workout, and that watch would be down to like 40 percent, and it would die around 6, 7 p.m. for me. And I would, you know, like, I, I figured out ways to to make it work where I would, like, charge it while I was showering. And thankfully, like, quick charge would work. But it was it was such a pain. Yeah. And so frustrating. It, it, I think if you didn't use workout, maybe not. But anybody who used the workout feature, I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, it's same thing with Amy. Uh, Joanna Stern was on the show a while back. And, you know, it was a big part of her review. Where yeah. 38 millimeters combined with the workout was you actually kind of need to figure out a way to, to sneak a charge in during the day. Yeah. Which is, which is really unfortunate. And is like, that better? I, is that better with series two? Uh, it, uh, it's night and day. It's, huh. it's, in, it's actually incredible because one of my big fears when they announced, you know, they were talking series two and they mentioned nothing about the battery, but they did say GPS and they said brighter screen. Um, and they said, faster processor. And those three things to me said, oh, great. The uh, Series 2 38 millimeter is going to have the same, if not worse, battery life, and I'm going to be really unhappy. Uh, and then, you know, I talked to 
uh, an Apple spokesperson at the event, and they're like, actually, there is a slightly bigger battery in the 38 millimeter. We're just not advertising it. Um, And actual use case has been incredible. Like to the fact where I was was doing – two hour workouts like I would do an, a 30 minute workout in the morning just doing an outdoor walk with my with my dogs and then I would go you know I would use it throughout the day I would use Siri I would use directions I would even pull up Authy a couple of times to like do my two-factor authentication I had my screen on the brightest setting um, and then I'd go and play roller derby for two hours and I'd come back and take a shower with the thing on and look, and my battery was still 20% at the end of the day. And that, like, that has never happened to me in the history of Apple Watch. And especially, it was it was e- extremely noticeable. I wore three watches on my wrists for about 48 hours straight, where I had a Series 2, a Series 1, and a Series 0. That's... Just to test all the same things. <laughs> <laughs> did you go out in public like that? I did, but I had long sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I people actually saw it was when I was playing derby, and I got right. a little a little bit of grief there, a little bit of shit. <laughs> <laughs> you look like such. You're actually doing actual work that is practically, you know, has practical effects for your readers, but you just look oh, I like look ridiculous. I look like a jackass. Yeah, right. so I I tried to like hide it as much as possible, but I did like. I got some valuable information on 38 millimeter battery tests, and that's—I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's entirely did I miss possible. It or did you not publish? That's your, tomorrow. Okay. It's coming tomorrow. Yeah. Thank goodness, because that would have been terrible. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, uh, the show will probably come out tomorrow, so we will. There we go. Uh, yeah. Uh, we will I'll, I'll send you it, the link. <laughs> try to get it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> that is good to hear, though. I feel, and I feel like that's very practical. I think one thing too is if uh, I hear faster CPU, and I'm still thinking like in the old days where, well, the faster the CPU, the more power it's going to consume. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think, especially on a wearable, it's actually the opposite. Where yeah, but more efficiency, faster, right? Because you're you're looking at the screen less because you're not waiting as long, and it's the screen that's way, burning way more power than the CPU. So if you can raise your wrist, see what you want to see. And have and then lower your wrist. It's actually a, a win on battery life. Oh yeah, you know I never I never used raise to wake for Series Zero because I thought it was going to just kill my battery life because I do enough like gesticulating with my hands that to have the screen randomly turn on and off, I'm like that's just going to drain my battery. And I would ke- I kept it on the lowest brightness setting for an entire I don't know 16, 17 months yeah. because I just when it was on its brightest battery setting and raise to wake, I couldn't get past three p.m with the with the watch. So to be able to actually use the brightest battery setting or brightest setting, you know, I've I'm looking at my watch right now. It's at 60% at 5:40 p.m. uh Eastern time after having gone on an an hour and 30 minute walk with GPS enabled. Mine on a 38 millimeter watch. Mine's at 94%, but I haven't <laughs> I didn't I did not leave the house today. You're like I've done nothing. <laughs> um, yeah, battery life the brighter screen is a huge win for me. Um, I would look forward to your review, but I, I just don't have much more to say than what I've already written. It's it's way more about the OS than than the watch. Even oh, though yeah. I have those good things to say about the new watch hardware, it's it's clearly way more about the the software. Yeah, Watch OS three basically redirected the Apple Watch to a much smarter place. And I don't think the Series Zero is garbage anymore. No. You know, it's still it's still quite usable, especially yeah. with Watch OS three. It's just if you're a thirty ma- thirty eight millimeter user, uh Series two is is the the magic salve that you're you've been looking yeah. for for your Apple Watch. It just it makes it usable. Yep. 
Well, that's good to hear. I will put a link to that in. Everybody can get uh, uh, all the Serenity Caldwell they want on Twitter. Uh, her username is Saturn, S-E-T-T-E-R-N, uh, and, and all of her work at iMore. Uh, anything else you wanted to, to give a shout out to before we pull the plug? Oh, gosh. Uh, other than the Apple Watch review, not not too much. Uh, thank you for having me, John. This has always been fun, as always. <laughs> always good to have you. I wanted somebody who I knew has used all this new stuff. How about the AirPods? We haven't talked about that. Did you guys get oh, review man. units? Yeah. So Renee, Renee officially got the AirPods, so I only got to play with them in New York, and he's been playing with them for right. the for the last two weeks. But the, uh, the two days that I play with them, I really like them. They still don't quite fit in my ears, but my Ooh. ears have never liked right. Like I, I feel like I'm probably of the minority there. Mm. Um, my my ears just have a tendency; they're very small, so they have a tendency to like spit out in ear pods where they just don't. They're just like no. It, it, so it wasn't a sorry. It's well, it's just interesting to me that the AirPods haven't shipped yet. They're at least a couple weeks away, but the Beats, uh, one of the Beats ones that uses the W one is already shipping. So you could like oh yeah, you know, people have already bought it. Yeah, you can you can start and you can start to play with the with the nifty. Um, Apple pairing, which I mean, I, that that's pretty cool. I use them so exclusively that I didn't even realize a ten point oh point two just came out, and it fixes a weird bug where the 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 lightning headphones lose the ability to play pause. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't, um, I didn't catch that because I don't I, use. <laughs> I didn't catch it because I think I've, I think, I think I put my <laughs> my lightning earpods in like for thirty seconds. <laughs> yep, they work. Yep, they sound the same. Back in the box. Yep, it's like okay, does just simple checks. Yeah, I, I switched. I, I really haven't used anything but Bluetooth headphones for the last six or seven months, I and I'm can't okay wait with for it. These, I can't wait for these AirPods to ship and for everybody to have them. They're my favorite favorite thing of the year. Yeah, I I am gonna look into trying to. Someone suggested putting Sugaru on the outsides hmm. to make them a little bit more pleasurably fitting to to people with weird ears, and I'm like, I might try that because I really love the concept of AirPods, and I yeah. think that even especially on ladies, actually, I think they actually look pretty good in because they almost look like earrings yeah. in a way, like especially from far away. You can't. It doesn't. It. I. My biggest fear was, oh my god, I'm going to look like an obnoxious like GP, uh, GPS, a uh, Bluetooth like yeah. earpiece from circa 2001, and they, you know, they're. I'm not going to say they're the most artistically designed things in the world in terms of like fashion forward, but they do look much better than I thought they were going to. And I feel like the the way that you can move them in your ears to kind of tilt the the end of the AirPod and the microphone kind of up or down is really it looks it looks good. And the the vocalization, especially when summoning Siri, is super impressive in terms of how low you can speak and ha- still have Siri get your every word. It works Siri for, in the like three days I use the AirPods. Siri worked better for me on the AirPods than she's ever worked for me on the watch, on the phone, or in the car. Interesting. I've dictated some pretty pretty complicated texts while you wearing them and walking around the city and and it's pretty good. Yeah, um, I'm really impressed. I will say this too as a one last comment is wearing them now and it it is the by far and away I think it breaks the record of Apple Watch um of the Apple product that I've had pre-release access to that has generated random people on the streets and stores of Philadelphia to ask me, is that blank? <laughs> uh, like way back in 2007, 
there were a lot of people who asked me. Well, I didn't have pre. I didn't have a pre-release iPhone then, but I bought one. But on But no one, one else did. Right, and people would say, "Is that an iPhone? Is that the iPhone?" And in the Apple Watch two years ago, there was a lot of people, especially like when I'd use the Apple Pay. The the clerk at you know Whole, Whole Foods was the first place that we had that supported it. Um, every single time I did it, they'd be like, "Oh my God, did you just pay with your watch? That's amazing!" <laughs> but with these headphones, it it's like breaks the record. I every every it's almost like I don't want to wear them out because people just stop me and say, "Oh my God, do you, how do you are those the Apple things?" And I say yes, and they're like, "How do you have that?" And it's it's like I, I always just say it's a long story. Yeah, but they're like, gotta... "Do you like them? <laughs> do you like them?" And I say, "I love them. I cannot wait for everybody else to have them." But everybody, yeah. it's amazing to me just as a sign of how much. Uh, awareness regular people have just people r- running the register at the Acme supermarket you know are totally aware of the fact that Apple has made as coming out with these wireless earpods yeah well it, it's funny to me um I don't really watch a lot of local news uh very much anymore and I remember um last year during the the te- quote unquote tattoo gate story um where I, you know, I had, I happened to have a person who was tattooed that I used to like do tests on with the, with the Apple watch to make sure that the Apple watch worked with tattoos. And then 24 hours later, because we were staying at my parents at the time, that was on local news. And that was on local news in the morning. That was on local news in the afternoon. That was on local news in the evening. Not necessarily my story, but just the, the idea of like, does the Apple watch work with tattoos? Will your wrists be safe? And I don't, I don't think I really realized until that moment. And then until I started doing, you know, just semi like Renee and I occasionally do um, like spots on like CNBC and stuff. And that, realizing just how much the 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 notion of like apple's dealings and and day-to-day stuff is affected and shown on local news and that everybody kind of knows what's going on it's it's still a little bit shocking at times yeah. i know it's a big deal i know apple is a giant company and that millions and billions of people pay attention to them but it's 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 sometimes hard to hard to remember that when you're in your little bubble writing about camera tests yeah, or like totally. how a how a building zooms Totally. All right, Serenity, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here. What a great conversation. Uh, like I said, you can find her on Twitter at uh, Saturn and all of her work at iMore. Uh, Thanks very much, John. Yeah, talk to you next time. Yeah, definitely. <laughs>